the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Shoots it on and a save by Jones. Kodrags drops it, shooting Kapanen right on Jones the save. Another great chance for Kapanen set up by Robert Thomas. I'm starting to love this chemistry we're seeing very early between this pair. Good chances, I thought. Um, You know, that line was good. He had some good chances. I thought he skated well. You know, it was all situations tonight, um, you know, strong. So some real good stuff. A good first game despite the loss for the Blues for Kapanen last night with St. Louis alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I was curious to see the type of player that he would be in a Blues uniform. And I was also curious to see how the Blues decided to utilize him. Like him being on that line with Robert Thomas. I think they clearly showed, as Joey Vitale said, some good chemistry early on. I also liked that by the end of the game, he was on the top power play unit. Enjoyed that. He's playing in all situations for this team. I think in total, he ended up with 19 minutes on the ice for the Blues last night. He said post game, man, I can't remember the last time that I played that much in a game. And he loved it. What did you see from Kapanen that specifically stood out to you last night in his debut as a Blue? Well, you guys remember my response when I saw Jordan Walker hit that dinger in his yeah. first spring yeah. training game? Well, had the same feeling last night when Kapanen got on the ice for the first time. I fell in love immediately. Yep. Number 42 just gliding around out there. I, I believe T-Bone's he... got an issue with that, by the way. I, we'll I talk do? about yeah. it here in a Why, minute. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it in a minute. What happened? You know, just, you know, Not a fan of I, David Backus's number giving yeah, up? Yeah, I, re- I remember the days of Backus. That was when I was growing up and becoming a... <laughs> remember the days of your... Becoming a big when he was a young fan. lad. When yeah, I was a young lad watching, listening on the radio watching with my Backus, sweater vest on. Yeah, watching Backus throw the body around, and now there's this guy? Whoa! This guy had two high-danger scoring chances himself last night. His line came away with three of them, and I I was just impressed with Kapanen. And something Joe and I talked about on pregame, Kapanen has always been in the spotlight of teammates. When he was with Toronto, it was Matthews and Marner. When he was with Pittsburgh, it was Malkin and Crosby. Now he gets to be in the spotlight for a team that is in a really bad spot, a team that's trying to figure out who they are. And he comes to a team and he comes to a line that has just been inconsistent. And with Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich and Kapanen, it was impressive. Kapanen provides something that this Blues team has not had in their last five games. He possesses the puck. He's very difficult to push off of the puck. He wins his board battles and he just shoots. 
there were three chances in that first period where all he did was skate into the zone, go to the net, and took the shot. He had one where he curled up and did a wraparound and backhanded it on net, thought that was going in. Another one where he just skated in and took a quick wrister and tried to get the rebound over to Robert Thomas, thought that one was going in. And then... In the third period when the Blues pulled the goaltender, we know how awful this team has been with empty nets. Like, as soon as the goalie's pulled, they're giving up the goal. Well, they had sustained offensive zone time, a lot of the reason because of Kapanen. He was in the middle of the ice, had the puck with three cracking around him. He spun around and went back to the outside to keep the puck alive. That's something this Blues team needs. He's got an offensive mindset. He's a veteran presence. And frankly, I thought the best line last night was Kapanen, Thomas, and Buchnevich. I'm with you, and I the reason I was impressed, too, is he nailed everything he said in his first introduction to the St. Louis media. You know, he said to, I think it was Jim Thomas and all the guys in the locker room, hey, I wanna, I'm want i going to have speed, and I'm going to get shots on net because I know that we need to shoot more here in St. Louis. And he did that. He had four shots on goal. You mentioned the two high danger. He ended up blocking three shots in last night's game. Oh, and he threw the body around and had a hit. So he did everything last night. I was really impressed. I was glad to see him get bumped up to that top power play unit because I thought he looked good on that second unit. And honestly, I just want to see what he looks like up there. I, I was really impressed with his debut as a St. Louis Blue. So I've heard Jamie talk a lot about this on the fast lane, and it, it makes sense, honestly, where some guys just are better in certain spots in the lineup. And what I mean by that is they get more comfortable when they're playing more often. There are guys that, like in the NFL, you see this with quarterbacks that are rhythm throwers. They need to get into a rhythm early on, so that way later in games, uh, they've got themselves in the right spot. Same thing with shooters. T-Bone, you see this in the NBA where guys need to get in a rhythm early, and then if they're feeling it, you know you can get them the ball later on. Maybe Kapanen's one of those types of players. And the reason why I bring this up, Alex, is because last night, like I said, he played 19 minutes. And we do have some fair texts that basically say he had to play 19 minutes because of what the Blues lineup looks like right now. There's some truth to that. I'm not disagreeing whatsoever. But you look back in last season, he played four games with at least 19 minutes. Four, the entirety of last season. The year before that, three games. The year before that, two games. 2018-19, no coincidence, his best season is one season with 20 or more goals in it. He played 10 games of at least 19 minutes that season where he was a legit top six forward, essentially. He's playing in all situations. I do wonder if that's what he can be here in St. Louis. I'm not saying he's going to be the the second coming of Pavel Buchnevich and he's going to be a 35-goal scorer that's playing in all situations and you've got a potential all-star on your hands. No, I'm not asking that of him. Can he be something similar to, like, a Brandon Saad? Can he be for you this year and next what Ivan Barbashev was for you last season? That's kind of what my hope is, is, hey, maybe you are able to catch lightning in the bottle. We know that he's he's kind of at the bottom of the barrel right now. He was just essentially allowed to walk away from a championship organization, even if they're struggling a little bit this year, for nothing. They said, we would rather get your money off of the books than have you around. That matters to a lot of guys. He's prideful. He's going to want to be able to rebound in a big way. And he's got a year and a half to be able to recoup his value for the open market next season. I would imagine he is going to be highly motivated to get himself back on track. Do you think he can be that type of player, Alex? Can he be an Ivan Barbashev, a Brandon Saad, a 20-goal scorer, 40-plus point player yeah. for the Blues? He, he's... He, to me, last night looked like, if you give him a full season, what Ivan Barbashev did last season. 
26 goals, 34 assists. He looks like he could be a 50 to 60 point player if he plays that way because he just has that that grit and attitude that Craig Bruby's been asking for. And Barbashev is a perfect comp. He's not going to finish every check. He's not going to have eight hits in a game. But what he is going to do is he's going to win puck battles. It's going to be very difficult to move him off of the puck, and he's going to take shots. I mean, that's his first game, and he finished with four shots on goal. Imagine what it's going to be the more comfortable he gets and when he gets more power play opportunities. But he also had three blocked shots, which I respect. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he really did everything. And I, I just he's got the speed, too. He showcased it a little bit. What I really liked about seeing him play is you claim him off of waivers. And we go back. There's a couple of guys that we talked about this season, like Tolvanen, who had two assists last night. That was a guy I thought the Blues should have claimed. But that is also a 23-year-old with only a couple of years experience in the NHL. There's still some growth right there. Tyson Jost was another one who was claimed by the Buffalo Sabres. Probably never going to get to the level that Kapanen is. What you did with Kasperi Kapanen was you claimed somebody who has played in the NHL for five-plus seasons. He knows. He's got the hockey smarts. He knows what to do. He's also played for good organizations, and I think that matters here. Winning organizations. And what it does is you put a player on the ice that doesn't need that learning curve. He's just going out there to prove himself. And what Doug Armstrong said a couple of days ago was Kapanen provides us the the ability to not put Jake Neighbors in bad situations. Jake Neighbors doesn't have to be a second-line winger for you next year. I just, everything about Kapanen looked really good last night. He was that shiny toy in a a bad game. So for me, build off of that because you might have a line that now you don't have to go into the offseason and say, we got to find ourselves a top six winger. You got him for $3 million. I would also add this. We got a text and it's sarcastic, but I get it. All right, fine. Just go ahead and give him the eight by eight and a half million dollars. Get it done now. Hell yeah, let's do it. I'm in. I'm not saying you should extend him. You shouldn't. I'm not saying you should do anything. He's got a contract for next season at $3 million. What I am saying is this. I liked that you noticed him. I liked that every time he was on the ice, you could feel his presence. Yep. Whether it was a blocked shot, a hit, him getting in on a scrum, like him, him having four shots over the course of the game. You saw him on the power play and it felt like he made an impact. He had the offensive zone possession time. That is stuff that like, not to call anybody out specifically, but when Logan Brown's on the ice, I don't notice him. When you've had some of the fourth liners that we filtered through here in St. Louis over the last couple of seasons as they've been trying to make that work, you don't notice some of those guys. When Caspin and got on the ice yesterday. You felt him. You could see that he was having a clear impact. And then you go back to the numbers, and it's not just the eye test, but the numbers back it up. When his line was on the ice last night, you go in through the numbers. Hey, seven shots for, one shot against. All right, that's something we can work with. That has not been the case for the vast majority of the season with that Robert Thomas line. There have been too many moments where you didn't feel their presence, where they weren't dominating the offensive zone ice time. And when they do, man, can that line be good. But when they're stuck in their own zone and they're not able to get it going in transition, they're not able to get out of their own zone and they're just stuck back there and now they can't get their offensive abilities, put those on display, it looks bad. Pavel Buchnevich is skilled. Robert Thomas is one of the best distributors in the NHL. I'll put him up there against just about anybody you want to. He's got that specific skill that he brings to you. If Kaspinen can help to maximize that from Robert Thomas, man, you might have something here. The other thing, final thing on Kaspinen that I wanted to get to. When you look at some of these lines that we see across the NHL, it's not always the best players that are up there with their top two. If you look at the pairings, right? 
as much as Evander Kane is a obviously very skilled player, when he was with Edmonton and he was playing with McDavid, look at the numbers that he was able to put up. Kaspinen, who has played with some of the best players in the NHL before, he's played with Evgeny Malkin in Pittsburgh. If he can do something to get the best out of Thomas and Buchnevich, that $3 million is going to look like a bargain when we get into next season. So I love the pickup. I was I, I didn't know totally how he was going to fit into the system. Yeah. To see that after one game, I'm super impressed. Well, and that's what's impressive, too. He only played one game, but he also only had one practice with these guys. And, I mean, you fit in pretty pretty easily. I mean, there is a little bit of comps with David Perron also. Perron really never got to that potential until he went away and played with a little bit more of competitive players. Played with Ryan Getzlav, played with Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby, played with Connor McDavid, and then comes back to St. Louis, and we all know kind of how that ended. So you could see that there. Bobby Plager used to say all all the time did you notice him and you did with cap absolutely and you noticed the line i mean i hate to say it but robert thomas was not good in the first four games of this six game Terrible. losing streak he was zero points and he was a minus eight in those four games Kapanen last night he had two points a goal and an assist and he finished as a plus one a line was better with robert thomas on it and also, the opposite opposition top line, that Matty Beneers line, that's who Thomas went up against, and they didn't come away with a point in that game. You'll have to see it. It's not saying that he's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky here in St. Louis. It's not saying that he's even going to be the next David Perron. Can he give you something similar to what Ivan Barbashev was last year? If he can do that, you feel great about it. If anything, it. it gives you something to watch the rest of the season. It <laughs> gets you really excited to watch that line perform together. Because that's that's what the rest of the season is about. It's about evaluation. It's about figuring out what do we need in the offseason to make this a competitive team once again next year. And one game in, super small sample size, 19 minutes for him. Looks pretty good. Looks like you might have something up there on that top line for the Blues moving forward. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we are officially beginning our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season with number 20 on our list. We will give you the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, and what does this player's performance mean for the Cardinals in 23? We'll get into all of that coming up in about 15 minutes. You guys can get involved. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, can this player become a front-end starter for the Cardinals? And if he does, Dakota Hudson, yes. does it take some pressure off of Jack Flaherty? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Montgomery making his 32nd start of the year, his 11th with the Cardinals. Tonight, swing and a miss and a strikeout of Key Brian Hayes. 2-2, check swing, and he went. A strikeout, the second tonight for Montgomery. That would be it. And that's a strikeout. Two in the inning, three in the game. How about that? What do you got for that? Take us to break. Future holds for Albert. A swing and a miss, strikeout number five. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio, courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest, it was a heck of a finale for Jordan Montgomery last year. And Alex, Jordan Montgomery, you couldn't have asked for a whole lot more in his time here in St. Louis. If you're just looking at the raw numbers, in 11 starts, he had 63 innings, finished with a 3.1 ERA. And really, when you're looking over the last couple of seasons, that's not to that degree, but it's kind of been the pitcher that he is in 62 starts over the last two years, which is part of why he's so valuable because he's been super reliable over the last couple of years. 
He's thrown 335 innings with a 3.6 ERA. That's awesome. Like if that's the guy that you're getting, those are legitimate number two or three starter types of numbers. Now that 3.1 ERA though, that's where you get tantalized into thinking, hey, maybe he can be a front end type of starter. When I was reading earlier today, I saw this come from uh, some of his comments. He was asked about where he's at right now. Oh, baby. Get excited. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. He said, quote, I wanted to be more aggressive and admitted that he pitched a little differently than he likely would have in a game because he was on the backfields as he got his start yesterday. He used his sinker more often than he typically would have in order to see if he could get more outs with it. He said, quote, the shapes were right. The velo is there and I'm not getting tired. I feel like I've been the best shape I've been in oh, in a while. Oh, oh, T-Bone, I want it. No, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. light. I'm strong. I feel good. <laughs> this is the one that got me. My arm feels whippy. Oh, I can whip it. I came in ready. I'm just trying to build up as much as I can. Montgomery also added that he got married in the off season. There he, it is. He uh, scheduled his wedding around his throwing program to make sure Atta that he boy. didn't miss anything. He told his wife, we'll get married around my schedule. Otherwise, he'd be thrown on the cruise ship. You know, that'd be weird. Alex, when you think about Jordan Montgomery, yeah. I'm pushing through here, boys. And you Keep think pushing. about what he can be for the Cardinals in 2023. What are you expecting out of this guy? I mean, are you all, this is your only opportunity to jump on board because this train is leaving. The hype train for Jordan Montgomery is an ace. Toot, toot. Who's jumping on board? I'm in. Get on board. BK? As an ace? Yeah. No. Okay, get the hell off. You're not invited. Nobody wants me on that train. Yeah, nobody wants you on that list. I, I mean, this goes back to what, and I forgot who wrote it. I think it was Derek Gould that had the piece talking about him adding that uh, the the slider to his pitch repertoire, which is what he used to use. I, I've said this to you guys coming into the season. He'd be the guy that I try and extend. He's the guy that I look at that could be that number two when it comes to a one-two punch of Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery. He's got the swing and miss stuff. We saw it. I, I went back and looked. He pitched 50 less innings last season than what he did with the Yankees and only had 30 more strikeouts with the Yankees. I, I mean, he he found something with St. Louis in his pitches that created more swing and miss stuff. And I don't know what the numbers splits of of when he started with Yadier Molina compared to Andrew Kisner. Maybe that plays into it, but he's got the swing and miss. If he stays healthy, which is the big if for every pitcher on this Cardinal staff, you know he can give you the innings. He's been over 153 times in his career. He looks like the prototypical 2A to a 1A, that's Jack Flaherty, and he pitches from the left side, which is everybody's excitement in St. Louis. So Yadier Molina, when he caught him last year... You ready for these numbers? Oh. Is it whippy? Oh, it's got to be bad. It's amazing. With oh, rap. Well, I, I, be, I thought it was going to be the opposite the way he was saying that. He threw 50 innings, eight starts with Yadier Molina, had a 1.8 ERA what in was those Kisner? games. Oh, we shouldn't have Kisner catch well, him this year. 1.8 one made it 3.11, so... 7.4 ERA oh. with Andrew Kisner behind the plate. Okay. Opposing okay. hitters hit All 340 right. against him with Kisner Good back team. there. It was 195 as an opposing batting average with Yachty behind the plate. Here's Hopin Contreras as the designated catcher. Good good thing Contreras is known as a good game caller. I mean, you're going to get a full season from him, a full season from him. And if he's adding a slider to his pitch, if he uncovered something that worked for him last year and he's running with it right now, and we all believe that the Cardinals found their pitching whisperer, I mean, it all clicks to the point where Jordan Montgomery could be the guy that you look at and you say, I don't think we can let him go. 
Yeah, I, I think Montgomery is the only guy in this rotation that has some of what you'd be looking for that could mask any deficiencies in what Jack Flaherty's season becomes. If Flaherty's hurt and isn't healthy, I think Montgomery, would he be viewed as an ace? I, I don't know, but I think you're right when you say he's a good 2A to have in your rotation and he has some swing and miss stuff. And if Jack Flaherty's good but he's not great and he doesn't fit into the ace category, I think Montgomery will be right there with him with, in terms of his swing and miss. He's the guy I'm most excited about to, you know, we've talked about Dusty Blake is supposed to be this next best pitching coach since bread was invented. I, I think that he's, I'm interested to see what Dusty Blake can bring out of Jordan Montgomery. Cause I do think there is more swing and miss in his game. And he's kind of the guy that I'm kind of circled and saying, okay, if Dusty Blake is as good as the Cardinals are saying, what's he going to be able to bring out of Jordan Montgomery? How much more swing and miss is there in Montgomery's game? I think there is a little bit more, but I, I do think that, and I don't want to spoil what my list ended up being in our top 20, but I had him higher than Michaelis. I, I think he's more important to the Cardinals' success this year than what Miles Michaelis is going to be, and that's not a knock on Miles Michaelis. I just think there's more swing and miss in Montgomery's game than Michaelis. This is the reason that I am super high on this Cardinals pitching staff, more so than anybody else, because your one-two punch last year, if Flaherty would have been healthy, healthy was Flaherty and Michaelis. That was a damn good one-two punch. Now imagine you put Jordan Montgomery with Flaherty and Michaelis. One, two, three is pretty scary if you're a team going up against that. So like you, you look over the last couple of seasons and you look at uh, strikeouts, the strikeout rate, Ks per nine, whatever you want to look at. Montgomery's pretty high up there, man. There have been 39 left-handed pitchers that have thrown at least 200 innings combined over the last two seasons. And if you're looking at his strikeout rate and trying to find a comparison – do you guys like Max Freed? I love Max Freed. Didn't we Freed. want to try and trade for Max Freed when He's we thought he was same available? same strikeout rate over the last two seasons as Jordan Montgomery. You're the welcome, exact everybody. same. So for as much as we talk... <laughs> what? Wait, I was wait, the one that was Why is he this? taking credit for because Jordan Montgomery's I've success? I've saying all along, Jordan Montgomery's a stud. And everyone's like, nah, now, now, I want to resign Miles Michaelis. I remember, Tanner, the, the day that we went out to uh, the Cardinals game on trade deadline day, when they acquired Jordan Montgomery, I was like, Really? You, you got Jordan Montgomery. That, that's the guy. Yeah. And, and I, I was like, I'm going to do a deep dive on this because I feel like I must be missing something. And I went through and I looked at like all oh, the strikeout rates and like a, a bunch of the peripheral numbers. And you looked at Montgomery compared to all of the other options that they had available to them. And we talked about it the next day on the air. Man, the only guy that was definitively better that got traded at the deadline than Montgomery in terms of any of the numbers was Luis Castillo. Otherwise, every other starter that was available that they could have traded for or that did end up getting traded, it's like, man, Montgomery is at least close to that guy or better than that guy. And so you look at some of the numbers that you kind of wonder with him, really it's about can he get the batting average against down? And I think some of that goes back to a lot of the time when he was in New York, they didn't have a great defense behind him. And the ballpark also doesn't necessarily play to his strengths. Here in St. Louis, it does. And so that doesn't necessarily make him like inherently a better pitcher when you've got a better defense behind you and you've got a ballpark that just is more suitable to the type of pitcher that he is. But it is going to make the results look a hell of a lot better. If you continue having that same strikeout rate, you have a better defense so the batting average goes down a little bit. You have some of those fly balls that ended up being home runs in New York that are because it's Bush Stadium, they're suppressed and they become fly outs here at, at Bush. Man, he could end up with like a 3-2 ERA this year. I don't think that should shock anybody. I'm not expecting it, but the ceiling for Jordan Montgomery, yeah, he could be a a legit number two starter on a contending type of team. That's in his range of outcomes. If this I year. had to go dark horse for an award this season, he would be one for me that looks at maybe get some Cy Young votes. 
because the swing and miss stuff and if that ERA is low and if you're going to get the amount of innings from him, I, I mean, Michaelis got some last year. I, I think Jordan Montgomery can be better than what Michaelis was last year. I could potentially see it. It, it will come down to the swing and miss stuff because he's, if he's got, got the strikeout strikeouts. stuff than, uh, than Michaelis does. And if there's that uptick that we think there is there, then yeah, I could see it because I, I think the ERA could be potentially lower. I, I do think he's a guy like there's a... We were talking about this back in the office. You know, Miles Michaels is kind of viewed as going to be the innings eater for the Cardinals this year, and he probably will be. I, I think Montgomery will be right behind him there. If he stays healthy, I'm not saying he's going to throw 200 innings because that's a lot to ask in nowadays game, but could he throw 180 to 190? Yeah, I could see where Montgomery ends up eating some innings for the St. Louis Cardinals rotation this year. He said his arm is whippy, T-Bone. That's over two. That's probably 250 innings. That'd be like the first Cardinal since like Chris Carpenter. Let's go. <laughs> okay, cool. So we made the Chris Carpenter comp. We comped somebody to Bob Gibson last year, didn't we? Yeah, Jack Flaherty. No. No, I, it was Michaelis, I've, wasn't I've it? Never oh, no, Michaelis. No, Michaelis was to Carpenter last year. I was about to say, we I've said never Michaelis compared was Carpenter a Cardinal starter to no, Bob no. Gibson and never will compare I think, a Cardinal starter to I think you said Dakota Gibson. Hudson was as close to a Bob oh. Gibson as they have. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, we begin our 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season. We'll tell you who just missed the cut from our top 20, and we open things up with number 20. What is the best-case scenario for this player? We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Strike one, 104 on the gun. I have never seen that. 105. Crowd is oohing and on, and, and even his teammates are saying, you got to be kidding me. We begin our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season with number 20, and it is indeed Jordan Hicks. The biggest number for him last season, Alex, is 61. And the reason why I say that is because that is the number of innings that he was able to pitch. For all of the downside with him, he wasn't a great starter. He ended up having to go back into the bullpen. The most important thing is that for the most part last year, 
he was able to stay relatively healthy. And when you look at him going into this season, I think that's going to be the key for him. It's just being able to stay on the field when he's out there. He's been relatively effective. The overall ERA, probably not what you're looking for, but a lot of that is inflated by his time as a starter. Opposing hitters had a 750 OPS against him as a starter that dropped down to 590. As a reliever, he did have some bad luck. It ended up being a 4.4 ERA as a reliever that can get inflated very quickly with one or two bad games as a reliever. He also wasn't great when he had inherited runners. I know for T-Bone, whenever he would come into a game and he had an inherited runner, Tanner would immediately go into a panic attack. Uh, it's true. It's true. Jordan Hicks <laughs> said at winter warmup, he prefers to come in with a clean inning and he wants to get his guys out. If he pitches well in spring training, I think that's the kind of reliever that you will expect him to be this year. He'll come in in the seventh inning. Alex, when you think about the best case scenario in 2023 for Jordan Hicks, what does it look like for you? Seventh inning arm. What what they need with Jordan Hicks is the one, two, three punch late in games. You know, it's Gallegos and Helsley. Who's the seventh inning? And if they're talking Drew Verhagen, you desperately need Jordan Hicks there because I don't trust Drew Verhagen, but I also don't trust Jordan Hicks. This is why we spent so much time in the offseason talking about finding another high leverage arm that you can trust. But best case scenario for Jordan Hicks is you rely on him no matter righty, lefty. You put him on the mound in the seventh inning and he's going to get you three clean outs to start that process of closing down the game. That's my opinion on best case scenario for him and uh, and what he can provide. I'm right there with you, and that's why he made my list. Because at first I was debating, okay, is Hicks going to make my top 20? I'm not 100% sure. And then I said to myself, you need four impact relievers because I'm putting the top 20 list together based on the roster they have and how they're going to rank if this team's going to go on and win a World Series. And to me, he makes the list because of what you were saying. He can be a seventh-inning man with swing stuff. The Cardinals were excited about the swing and miss in the second half. I was shocked when I looked this up uh, when I was making my list from August 1st till the end of the season. He had the second highest strikeout per nine on the team. The only guy that was ahead of him was Helsley. He was higher than Giovanni Gallegos. And his FIP, talking about getting nerdy here, his FIP 3.21 was higher than Ryan Helsley's, who was the closers last year. So I think if the swing and miss stuff was for real, Jordan Hicks takes over that seventh inning rule. And then it just comes down to, can they pair a left-hander with him? Will one of these lefties in spring take over, take the kind of seventh inning roll with him when they need a high leverage spot against a left-hander but Jordan Hicks best case scenario seventh inning guy for you with some swing and miss stuff and he's one of potentially four elite arms that you need to go on and win a world series I guess I should say he what he didn't make my list be the reason being I, I see his spot best case scenario he it's a revolving door if your name's not Helsley or Gallegos it's a revolving door in that bullpen. And I don't know if you're going to see consistently out of Jordan Hicks what you trust. He would have come in at number 20, but I had somebody else at number 20 that I felt was more important. And just to give you the rankings out on our respective list, and if you're new, you aren't familiar with the way that this segment works, we all put together, the three of us, a 20 most important players list for the 2023 season. We average them out, and then we make the final list based on the averages from the three of our list. I had Jordan Hicks at number 20 on my list, actually. Tanner had him at number 17. Alex did not have him making his top 20. The worst case scenario for Jordan Hicks. For me, my best case scenario is this. He ends up becoming that seventh inning arm that occasionally even pitches in the eighth or ninth inning for you. I think there will be days this year where Giovanni Gallegos and Ryan Helsley are unavailable and Jordan Hicks takes over as your closer in those specific games. That is best case scenario. Worst case scenario, he's not healthy. 
he ends up having the same issues that we saw from him at times last year where he's not hitting the strike zone. He walks the world. If you look at back at his walk rate from last year, one of the worst in all of Major League Baseball. Now, some of that was from his starting opportunities, and that definitely inflated those numbers. But there have been times where he just can't find the strike zone. You got to take him out before he even records an out, and it doesn't end well for Jordan Hicks. That's worst case scenario. I do th- think, though, as long as he's healthy, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to have at a minimum a middle innings reliever with Jordan Hicks. I'd be surprised if it's worse than that. Yeah, worst case scenario for me with Jordan Hicks is he's on the injured list all season. He turns into Alex Reyes 2.0 to where you just don't see him on the field. And I think that's a real possibility with him. And I know he went through a lot of stuff already with his Tommy John that he had to go through and then with the pandemic season. So it's been tough on him for a couple of years. But that's worst case scenario for me. And that is something that I feel like is is attainable if you're a Cardinals fan of you just don't see him consistently this year which again is why I just didn't want to put him on my top 20 list yeah I I think worst case scenario is you have to go and make a trade to fill the role of Jordan Hicks and I I, for how great his stuff looks with that sinker and it being 104 for whatever reason it just doesn't get swing and miss and he does miss the strike zone a lot so worst case scenario he's going to be on the roster probably no matter what but worst case scenario is you have to trade to find your Jordan Hicks replacement as one of those high leverage relievers I'm very curious to see what Dusty Blake does with him we've heard a lot on the offseason about how Dusty Blake's working with specific pitchers on specific pitches and with Jordan Hicks not hard to figure out what you would like to add to his repertoire it's something that can get swing and miss consistently because there are moments where he gets a lot of it and then it just disappears for like a month it's kind of like Hennessy Cabrera last year, where midway through the year, I was like, wait, nobody's striking out anymore. Nobody's getting, like, n- nobody is missing anything that he's throwing. And they're hitting it really hard. That happens occasionally with Jordan Hicks. So I am curious to see what we end up seeing Dusty Blake work with Jordan Hicks on. Final thing here on Jordan Hicks. What is your expectation for him going into this season, Alex? Like, when you just think about what 2023 should and probably will in a most likely scenario look like for him, what comes to mind for you? I, I, I view it as he's one of those middle of the rotation guys. He, he's somebody that you can throw out there in a jam. He's somebody that if you're if your starting pitchers getting hit around and you need to get a new person out there, he's somebody who can come in and give you a couple of innings. Maybe they feel like they can get two innings out of him to reach those late inning situations with Jordan Hicks. But reasonable expectations is to me a guy who's going to be in and out of the lineup with injuries this season, but he's a guy that is reliable enough to use on a consistent basis, somewhere between the fifth and sixth inning. That felt kind of negative. If I'm going to be honest, I, I mean, I hate to be that injuries? way. I, no, I hate to be that way. It's just, I, I'm, I'm concerned with him and I just can't put the full faith that I know he's going to be there all season for you. I think that's fair. Maybe even last year when he stayed relatively healthy, there were some moments where he was, I mean, I had the same feeling for, for the longest time with Alex Reyes. Every time you felt like the, the, the excitement was there, it was taken away from you. I, my expectation is going to be about 60 to 70 innings pitched, and I would say an ERA below four, and I want to see that strikeout stuff. I I want to see it get back to where it was in 2019 before he got hurt, where it was almost 10 strikeouts per nine. That That's where I want to see it, because he's got the stuff. Just can he miss bats? And I think that's the most crucial part for Jordan Hicks, and I think he's going to be a setup man. I think he's going to be rotating between that sixth, seventh inning role with whoever the lefty is that they think is going to emerge as that high high leverage reliever. My biggest hope for him this season is that he cuts down on the walks. If he's able to do that, I think last year he had a pretty decent season overall when he was in the bullpen. It was just the walks killed him, man. 
There was way too many of them. And so my realistic expectation is he comes in. He's a really nice seventh inning reliever for you. He probably ends up on the IL a couple of times because he's a reliever that throws really hard and that tends to happen. But overall, I think you're expecting him to be a guy that you can trust in that role. If you can't, who buddy, somebody else better step up because he's really the only guy right now that profiles as being in that scenario. All right, before we move on to questions and answers on the other side, you could take that bed down, T-Bone. Who just missed the cup for our top 20? So Alex had two guys on his list that did not make our overall top 20. Dakota Hudson and Andrew Kisner. Alex, why did you put them on your list, and how do you feel about the fact that they did not make our top 20? So I'll start with Andrew Kisner, and he was the one. It was him and Jordan Hicks that it came down to for number 20. And the reason I went Andrew Kisner is I view this as Wilson Contreras. We've heard everybody doubt the defensive side, the 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 catching, working with the pitcher side of the game. It would not surprise me if we see a lot of Andrew Kisner getting starts behind the plate, not just to give Wilson Contreras time off, but if you're looking at a 60-40 split, you're looking at somebody that you're going to have to rely upon to be better with the pitchers. I mean, we just gave you the numbers, what he was with Jordan Montgomery. You're going to need some consistency from him behind the plate, and I do look at that and saying Andrew Kisner is probably going to get more playing time than people are expecting from him. And the reason I put Dakota Hudson on this list, I know everybody thinks that it went was because I believe he's the ace. I do believe that if one injury happens to a starting pitcher for an extended period of time, Dakota Hudson's the first one up. Dakota Hudson's the first one up that's going to be in the rotation. We've talked about the pitch clock now. We've talked about a guy who can induce double plays. He's going to be a guy they're going to go to when an injury happens, and an injury will happen. And if not, he's going to be a high leverage dude in the bullpen for you who could be eating some innings. So Dakota Hudson, I just feel like, is going to be more impactful on the season than people are giving him credit for. They were close to making my list as well because I had the same thought process on Hudson. Then I said, I, I don't like to project injuries, so I decided I couldn't put him on the list. And Kisner... <laughs> Felt Kisner, like a shot at me. No, no, I, I've always been that way, and I'll be open and honest about that. But Kisner did almost make my list ahead of Jordan Hicks until I started having those conversations. Honestly, almost more over ahead of Nolan Gorman, but then I thought Gorman could be a left-handed power bat. Uh, the reason I think Kisner is kind of what Alex said. You know, I, I do think there's going to be more of a split than what Cardinals fans are expecting because... Not so much Contreras' defense, but I think it's just going to be they want to keep Contreras fresh. And it's it's going to be, I don't know if it'll be as egregious as it was last year where Yachty and him were splitting 50-50, but I do think it could be around that 60-40 to what Alex said, where it's just keeping Contreras fresh, keeping him out of that catcher position as much as possible, getting him some DH opportunities. I, I think you're going to see Kisner a lot, and I think it does come down to he's going to have to perform to hold his backup role, and he ha- he has to be a guy that just doesn't look awful offensively and doesn't look like he can't handle the pitching staff. A few of the other guys that did not end up making our list. If there's a bullpen arm that you are like, hey, are they going to make the team? They probably didn't make our list. The other one that maybe the surprise uh, from the bullpen that did not make it, and I think it speaks to how deep this roster is right now, is Andre Pallante. Yeah. Who last season, if you looked back on the most important Cardinals and you did it as a postseason list as opposed to a preseason list, he would have definitely been on it prominently. He probably would have been in top 15 at a certain point in the season at, at a minimum. Uh, so that's one guy that I found to be interesting. Paul DeYoung, surprisingly enough, uh, did not make our 20 most important huh, Cardinals wonder why. for 2023. Neither did Lil Poppy, uh, neither did Alec Burleson. So those are a few of the notable names that did not make the cut. We did have somebody on the text line ask what I think is a pretty interesting uh, question from the 314. Did you guys do a recap of your top 20 from last season? And if so, how did you guys do when you look back on it? 
Uh, we did at the end of the season talk about it briefly, but just to go through, I'm going to start with our top 10, and then I want to get to why I think the back half is more, maybe more interesting in terms of the conversation. Our top 10 most important Cardinals for 2022 were as follows. This is for last season, preseason. Jack Flaherty, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill was at number three, Paul Goldschmidt at number four, Dylan Carlson up at number five, Adam Wainwright, six, Stephen Matt seven, Harrison Bader at number eight, Tommy Edmond at nine, and Giovanni Gallegos at number 10. I would say overall, feel pretty good about the way that we did in our top 10. The back half is where you would definitely have some changes that would take place. <laughs> number 11 was Miles Michaelis. Number 12 was Dakota Hudson. Number 13, Henesis oh Cabrera. 14, Yadier Molina. 15, Paul DeYoung. 16, Edmundo Sosa. 17, Alex Reyes. 18, Juan Yepes, 19, Nolan Gorman, and 20, same place as he is this year, Jordan Hicks. Now I know why I didn't do Hicks on the list because of the Reyes. It, it bit me last year with him. So yeah, so 17th. Albert Pujols was not on this list because he wasn't signed when yeah, we I was made it. Say. Ryan Helsley was not in our top 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2022. Wasn't he injured going into that prior season? To, yeah, the yeah. season prior. He was kind of in the Jordan Hicks spot. I find him to be very interesting in terms of like who could be that guy for the Cardinals in 2023 that ends up like rising up our list as a reliever for them. I don't know who the answer is, but there's probably somebody that's going to finish the season not in the same way that Helsley did, but somewhere on our top 20 list. Is it in Zach Thompson made our Could list, be. but he'd be the one that I would throw out there yeah. and say, I think it would be him. Thanks him or Drew Verhagen. Uh, what, what happened? He just said, and then two other left-handed bats that did not make our list last season. Uh, that certainly would have finished on the list. And this year are prominently featured for sure are Brendan Donovan and Lars Newbar. Neither of them ended up making the list last year. I and thought you were going to say Corey Dickerson. No, no, he did not make it at the beginning or the end of the season. Darn. Um, so that's that's where you're at. Uh, somebody said 50% of your top 10 gave you almost nothing last year. Yeah, welcome to the top 10. It's not so easy. If you think uh, it is, why don't you try it? I don't think that's true. Flaherty's really the whole, uh, I guess, match was up there. I mean, there. I guess you could argue Carlson in terms of, like, just yeah. didn't really well, play that well. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, well. we were right. <laughs> I, I would say, though, like, the fact that you didn't get much out of them is part of why they didn't finish the season where they wanted to be. Like, Jack Flaherty, if he had been the version of Jack Flaherty that we were all expecting, I think your season ends differently. I think we were talking about them going into the postseason a lot differently. If Tyler O'Neill was the player that we thought he could be, your outfield complexion looks a hell of a lot different, and you're not potentially playing Juan Yepes as often as you were in the postseason. Corey Dickerson is not starting a playoff game for you. So, yeah, I... I, I still feel pretty good about the way that that top 10 was constructed, even with some of the lack of production up there. I think yeah, that speaks to their importance. Yeah, you think it's so easy. Why don't you try it? Somebody said it's because you asshats are short style. Whoa, we're assets. That's right. Coming up in 15 minutes, has the ship already sailed on a Colton Pareko deal? We'll talk about that at the top of the hour. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net.
Jalen Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, we would be happy to answer them right now. From the 618, guys, would you rather have Jordan Montgomery or Harrison Bader for the 2023 Cardinals? Jordan Montgomery. Because your biggest weakness in a lot of people's eyes is pitching. And if you lose one pitcher... Without Jordan Montgomery, oh, you are in some trouble. But now, let's say something happens to the back end of your rotation. Well, you're in a good position still because of your top three. So I would rather have Jordan Montgomery. I think I'd rather have Jordan Montgomery as well because, as I said in the last or two segments ago, he can kind of mask what might be missing from Jack Flaherty. And though the outfield defense is worse off without Harrison Bader, I don't think it's as much of a fall off as we might think. I, I think that... O'Neill, Carlson, Newport, whoever ends up being the starting center fielder, they'll be good there, and it won't be as it won't be a massive drop off, in my opinion, from what, what Harrison Bader brought to the table. Uh, from the three one four, and by the way, I'm definitely in favor of having Jordan Montgomery. What? He's, he's very good. You wanted to give Bader the ten by ten. So what? <laughs> I, I had to give you a hug after he was traded at the ballpark. Yeah, Did true. you? Yeah, he had a tear rolling down. I was, dude, man, it's okay, man. I was celebrating. Back in my From house. From the 314. Guys, would you look at trading Jordan Cairo if you got the right offer? BK, you want to take this one? <laughs> I'm Did gonna... you know he's minus 33 now, which is the league worst? Alex, he's minus 11 in his last six games. Yep. But go ahead. Defend why you wouldn't. All right. So it's a good bird watcher. <laughs> Here's no, the thing. it's a puck watcher. Oh, sorry. If, if you're selling your Jordan Cairo stock right now, I'm buying because I don't think it's going to get any lower. Like th- this is, man, there's still like 25 games left to go. I know. I think he's going to come back up. This is a stock that has gone from being at the pinnacle, having some rough times. They you got know, a bad earnings report. You know a lot about stocks? No, I'm starting to learn a little oh, okay. bit more. Or attempting to. Um, had a bad earnings report. It fell a little bit, and I'm buying the dip, Alex. You seem like a dip kind of guy. I don't know if it's going to go back up, but I think it is. I'm a bull, I'm, I'm a bullish individual on Jordan Cairo's future, so I would not trade him. And I've said this all along, unless you feel very confident you are getting a better player in return. So what I mean by that, that may, may sound obvious, right? What I mean by that is I'm not selling him off for assets. I'm not getting prospects. I'm not getting picks. Yeah. I'm not doing anything like that. I don't even want a guy that I think is going to be like a middle six type of forward. Jordan Cairo's ceiling is a 40-goal, 100-point player. I'm not just giving that away for quarters on the dollar. I want something better in return, where I'm packaging Jordan Cairo and a pick for a player. That's the only route that I would go in order to potentially trade Jordan Cairo. That's how I feel on it. Alex, how do you feel? Yeah, I'm the op. I'm the same as you I'm not moving Kairu just to move Kairu because that's what a full-blown rebuild looks like I'm moving Kairu if I get something that plays in my top six that's a little bit more established that's why I brought up the Kairu for Timo Meyer opportunity because Meyer is a little bit more of an established player that fills that top role that you're looking for out of Jordan Kairu it is still very early. It's the second full season in the NHL. There are growing pains with everything. But it's not getting any prettier with Kairou right now because last night 
Last night was a lot of circling the own zone and watching the puck move around and get shot on goal rather than going after it like we saw with Kapanen in one game. Um, so uh, I'm not hanging up the phone if somebody's calling and saying Jordan Cairo, but it's got to be something that makes sense for me next season just as much as it's, it's got to be a hockey trade. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hang up the phone, but I, I'm kind of with both of you. It has to be something that I feel like makes me better if I'm going to trade Jordan Cairo. I, I do think next year is more of that kind of, I don't want to call it make or break year because he's still young, but next year's a very pivotal year for him. Like I ha- You have to see more improvement in the 200-foot game. And I'm not saying he has to be the best defensive player on the ice, but you have to see a little bit more, I'll, I'll call it care, in the defensive zone. Compete. That's what we call it. Compete yeah, in they the always defensive care, zone. Man. And, and uh, the other thing for me is this is the second straight year. And look, this year I can understand a little bit because the team is bad. They've sold off pieces. I get it. This is the second straight year where we're seeing a tail off in the second half for Jordan Cairo. And that can't be a thing that becomes constant with Jordan Cairo. He can't just be a first half performer. And then the second half, you don't see him. So you remember what Jake, what Jake Allen was like, and I'm not comping the two, but remember Jake Allen would always start off hot and then he'd have that lull January, February, and people would get yeah, frustrated. Cancun lull. Yeah. They sent him to Cancun. Yeah. They basically told him go on vacation and we'll talk to you post all-star yep. break. That, that's what you can't have happen to Cairo. And T-Bone's absolutely right. That's two straight years of it. And at that point of the season, you're ramping up for playoffs rather than disappearing for your team. Now, I will give him credit. Last year, he did turn it back on in the playoffs. He was pretty good in the playoffs last He's year one of for the them. players in the postseason. So that, that is critical to remember, but it can't be a constant in the regular season where he shuts things off in the second half. Yeah, I don't... I think what we might be learning is that Jordan Cairo is not a top-line player. Jordan Cairo might be a second-line forward that is a erratic performer where the highs are really high and the lows are really low. There's a lot of guys like that around the league. Um, and, and I do think that it is still worth $8 million per year, but it is going to be frustrating to watch at times. And there's certainly going to be a portion of this fan base that does not enjoy watching it um, at times. And I, I get that. It is super frustrating coming up in about 15 minutes. We're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including one NFL team that says they are not listening to offers on their star wide receiver and another that sure seems to be ready to move on from their quarterback. Quarterback. We'll tell you who those teams are coming up in 15 minutes. But next, I've been watching too much of the Great British Baking Show. Has the <laughs> ship sailed on Colton Pareko being dealt? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So it could. Uh, I have heard in the past week or so that, uh, you know, that moving a defenseman is a priority. You know, I've heard Colton Preco's name pop up as we have with other reports outside of St. Louis. To my knowledge, Colton Preco, who has a no trade clause, has not been presented with anything. We know that that can happen in a moment's notice. For example, you can talk to Tarasenko and his camp five minutes before Doug Armstrong calls. 
They've heard nothing. Then all of a sudden, Doug Armstrong calls, and he's going to the New York Rangers. Same thing with Colton Pareko. I would just have to believe that uh, if Colton Pareko, and continuing to use him as an example, gets that phone call, this is a guy who loves St. Louis, signed an eight-year deal, plans to be here. I would think that he would need more than five minutes like Vladimir Tarasenko made his decision in to make that type of decision. So when I say that uh, I don't think it'll happen before the deadline, of course it can, but I would think some more time and thinking would go into it uh, more than what the Blues have before that deadline. That was Jeremy Rutherford earlier this week talking with us about Colton Pareko's future here in St. Louis alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Jr. also wrote this earlier today over on The Athletic. You can read the full piece there. You can follow him on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford for all of his great reporting on Colton Pareko and the Blues as we get closer to the trade deadline. He says one source familiar with the Blues plans said that they would like to move a defenseman and Pareko appears to be the likeliest candidate because of his poor performance this season. The club could use that salary room, and while it sounds contradictory to those two factors, there is indeed interest in Colton Pareko around the league. He adds, This is where Armstrong has to be careful, though. The Blues GM won't request that a player waive his no-trade clause until he already has a deal in place, which is what he did with Vladimir Tarasenko, but this situation is very different. Tarasenko was a pending UFA, he had already requested a deal, and Armstrong had a pretty good inclination, based on his previous trade list, that he would be okay with the idea of playing for the Rangers. With Pareko, he has said in the past that he wants to be a Blue for his entire career, and he has seven years left on his deal and a full no-trade clause. The cat may already be out of the bag in regard to the Blues being willing to move on from him, but if Pareko were to turn down a deal there could be a strained relationship until some sort of resolution is reached. Alex, the team that we've talked a lot about in relation to Colton Pareko is the Edmonton Oilers. The reason why Pareko's from, I mean, relatively speaking, that area, Alberta. And it seems as if he would be willing to go there. That's just us reading the tea leaves. Yesterday, Edmonton made a big deal. They got Ekholm from Nashville in a big trade that they made. Does that take Colton Pareko off the table for them, in your opinion? And if so, does it also remove the possibility of Colton Pareko being dealt at the deadline in your mind? Yes to both. So I'll start with Edmonton. Taking on Matias Ekholm, now they can make the salary work this season with LTIR space and kind of maneuvering things if they ship out another player. But you're not looking at just this season if you're Edmonton. You're taking on $6.5 million for the next eight years. Mm-hmm. And Matias Eklund's got three more years at $6 million. So they're looking at this, I would imagine, as we just got Colton Pareko and Matias Eklund, who's a little bit older, a lot more of a veteran, and has got a little bit more defensive upside than Colton Pareko, at least this season. So it, it takes Edmonton out. I don't know if it takes Colton Pareko out of the trade market, but it's going to be a lot more difficult because if he's only willing to go to one, maybe two teams at Edmonton and Calgary in the Alberta area, well, then you can't do much. This is the no trade clause. This is what you did. But if Doug's offered something by another team, he can approach Colton Pareko and say, look, we got this offer. It's not working out. Do you want to go there? And then it's up to Colton Pareko decide. But, man, for me, you got to this point, you're unable to move him because the team that you probably would have been able to do that with, they made the other move. 
And yeah, so now I think you're looking at this and saying Colton Pareko is going to be here, at least for the rest of this season, and we can reassess in the offseason. But Edmonton's probably out of the running right now. I, I, I think they are as well. I, I think they got the one defenseman that they were looking for. And I, I think we're starting to see now that we've seen a bunch of trades now for defensemen to where I think we're getting to the point where the music's about to end and the chairs are all filled up to where I, I think the Blues, I think if they were going to move Colton Pareko, I think they would have already done it. And, and I think that the teams that have been looking for their defensemen have filled their holes to where there are a couple teams. We talked about this in the office. You know, Maybe Carolina looks at it. Maybe it'd be Ottawa. But again, it comes down to a Pareko wave. There's no trade there. I I just don't see it happening, and I've been skeptical of them making a deal on Preco all the way up until today as well, just because I think this is one of those where it's so complicated with the term on his deal. He's got the no-trade clause to where it feels more like it's going to be a summer summer deal where it's going to be a deal at the draft than it is going to be at the deadline. So we've had a bunch of texts that come in basically asking for the specifics on this. Let's start with this. What is the situation with Colton Pareco's contract, the no-trade clause? How How does all of this work? So Colton Pareko has seven years remaining on his eight-year contract. This is technically the first year of that eight-year deal. He's making $6.5 million per season. Now, for the rest of this year, not a huge deal because the way that this can work, the Blues would essentially be trading $3.5 million of that because it's prorated. And you could have another team take on 50% of the salary, and you could take on 50% of the salary retained. So another team could essentially, as long as they've got like $850,000 in cap space, they could get Colton Pareko for the rest of this year and make it work no harm, no foul. Basically, that means every team in the NHL can take on Colton Pareko if they really wanted to make it work for this season. And the future is where it gets tough because, as you mentioned, Alex, he does have $6.5 million per year after this season. The other factor that's complicating things is the no-trade clause. He has a no-trade clause this year, next year, the year after that, and then after that, and then after that, and then after that. The first time that he doesn't have a full no-trade clause, which means that if you have a full no-trade, you get to determine if you want to go to that team or not. The team comes to you and says, would you accept a deal to Team X? And the player says yes or no. That's the no-trade clause. Later on in 2028, so, you know, six years from now, he will have a modified no-trade clause, which in his contract means he gets to submit a 15-team no-trade list, and then based on that list... The Blues could either, if there's a team that wants to trade for him that's on the list, they could bring it to him and he once again says yes or no. Or the other 15 teams that are not on his list, they can trade him to any of those without having to take it to Colton Pareko first. So that's where this all gets very complicated. Somebody on the text line says, how do you guys know that he would only accept a deal to Edmonton? We don't. We don't necessarily know that that's the only place that he would be willing to go. But if you read the tea leaves, specifically with Darren Drager's report yesterday and He's kind of mentioned this publicly. He's an Alberta boy. It does seem as if that would be a team that he would be willing to go to. Put yourself in Colton Pareko's shoes now for a second. You got a seven-year deal. You signed here for a reason. You want to be a St. Louis Blue. You have your home in St. Louis. You have made this the place where you reside. You got a no-trade clause in your contract for a reason. You earned that. You negotiated it. If you don't want to go somewhere, you don't have to. And so I'm not telling you that he can't. he's not going to be willing to go anywhere else, but it's possible that that's the only team that he wants to go to. And this is where things get really hard, Alex, is if they say no, Edmonton, they are not interested in Colton Pareko anymore because they made this deal. I don't know what you do if you're Doug Armstrong. Your hands are tied because of the no trade clause. And this is where I got so frustrated over the last couple of years as we were talking about the no trade versus the no move. 
the no trade clause is incredibly powerful for the Blues right now. There is a lot of reason to believe that it could limit their ability to trade these guys. It's why I was so impressed by what they were able to get in return for Vladimir Tarasenko because they were limited in where they could ultimately send him. It could become a problem in the Colton Pareko negotiations if the Blues really want to move on from him and he doesn't want to go anywhere other than a couple of teams. Well, and here's the other thing. So we asked this question yesterday. I think we asked it off air, but I, I did a little more research into it. So if a team retains salary, they're retaining this percentage of salary for the remainder of his contract. It's not just the year. So if a team, so Puckpedia has this, and I was asking JR about this too. When a team when a team trades a player, they can retain the salary. The team keeps a percentage of both the cap it and the salary for the remainder of the contract. So that's why things get a little bit more difficult, also because Doug's not retaining salary on this. I don't know enough about this to say for sure. I don't think that's the case because Matthias Ekholm's contract is still as it is currently standing for. Uh, Edmonton, and he did have some of his salary, but it was like two percent retained. Okay, and that's but that's why that was so interesting to me because if you look at it, Nashville only retained like two or three percent of it. It's four percent, so it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Interesting. I I so th- was unaware of that. So if that's the case, welcome to even more difficult now because yeah. Doug's well, not you- retaining. And, yeah. that, and that's why it that's becomes an off-season a buyout. deal. In that scenario, yeah. you're Absolutely. essentially you're paying doing, a buyout. You're doing what Minnesota's doing right now with Ryan Sutter cool, and Zach Parise. So it's not just for this season that they retain the salary. Now, Oof. I'm sure that could be negotiated into it where we'll retain salary this season, but you take it on. But at least commonly, you're retaining salary for the remainder of the contract. Wow. So that plays into this, which is going to make things very difficult, which is why the Edmonton Oilers thing was so interesting because they could make it work. And you probably could have done what Nashville did and retained 250000 the rest of it. I'm glad you brought that up. I, yeah. I was unaware well, of that I, specific quirk. I looked it. it up last night, and JR and I were talking about it when he was working on his piece, and I said, that's another factor into this. So I had I, I made mention this a couple of weeks ago, back when we were talking about these defensemen and this retention of salary, because Pierre Lebrun said it was going to be tough for the Sharks to move Carlson because of his contract, Absolutely. because the Sharks don't want to maintain any of his percentage of his cap. And, I wonder I mean, if this is something you're talking that about you can negotiate, though. You might be able like to. With, within a deal mm-hmm. to another team, can you negotiate of, we're going to retain 50% of the salary for the rest of this season? And then you retain it for the remainder of his contract. I, you can negotiate everything. So I'm sure. sure that you can figure out a way to do that, but at least the common trades, that's why you saw that Matthias Ekholm yesterday, 4%. Man. Because they didn't want to retain the rest of this contract. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a huge deal. Absolutely. That, that is a huge deal, you have to find a team that's willing to trade money in, money out for that player. It's a hockey trade, which is why this seems Oof. more like an offseason thing. And I'll say this, since we're on the, the Colton Pareko topic, I, I dove into this one also uh, today. As much as people want Colton Pareko off of this roster, and I know that I'm the ultimate Colton Pareko defender. Oh boy, here we go. You might need to really start thinking about the left side of your defense. <laughs> because everybody in your prospect pool I'm talking guys that haven't been signed. I'm talking guys in the minor. They're all left-handed shots. The only guys that are right-handed shots on your like depth chart is Matt Kessel. You guys oh cool boy. with Matt Kessel <laughs> playing the right side for you next season? Scott Perunovich is a lefty. Uh, there's a couple By the way, of other. You know who else is a lefty? 
Isn't Jacob Chikrin a lefty? Jacob Chikrin is a lefty. That's why I'm saying, like, as much as people want, and look, lefties can play the right side. Like, I know that's just a myth that goes on in the National Hockey League. But if you're a team, you really want to have somebody on the right side. And if you're trading a guy who eats 24 minutes a night on the right side, and now you only got one of those guys, you're going to have a problem. So as much as people want Colton Pareko, and he's the guy in the rumor mill, I would seriously consider thinking more about the left side of your defense because that is where you have a massive load of players and not enough time to play them. And for what it's worth, yesterday on with the fast lane, I believe it was Brian Lawton, former NHL general manager, now works for NHL Network, who said there is also some interest from what he understands around the league in who was it that he said uh, Nick Letty said Nick Letty is garnering some interest or some level of interest around the league. Now and that's the experience that comes with it. And, and that could be as simple as like, there's a couple of teams that have asked him, Hey, what do you think it would take to get Nick Letty? I don't even know that Nick Letty's available, but just throwing that out there as this is a left-handed defenseman that does have term remaining blues decided to make that contract uh, decision in the off season. Maybe there would be a, a potential deal available for him as well. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we've talked a lot about what MLS TV, the, the season pass, means for Major League Baseball, for the NHL, especially with the downfall of these regional sports networks. What would you be willing to pay for MLB TV specifically if that's the route that this decides to go? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. NFL Quick Hitters is coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Just to cap off our last conversation, looked this up during the break. It was a good piece of information from Alex Ferrario. Jeremy Rutherford jumping in uh, with a text to us yeah, as Kerb's well, helping us also. out. If you retain salary in a trade at the deadline, it is for the life of the contract. You cannot just do that for the one season. That is my bad. I was unaware of that. Uh, for some reason, I had it in my head that it, it could be just the remainder of that season. It is not. The cap states very clearly if you retain salary, it is for the life of that contract. So if the Blues were to retain 50% of Colton Pareko's salary, as an example, they would retain $3.25 million for the next seven years on their cap. Doug ain't doing that. It essentially serves as a buyout. That, that is basically what you would be doing while getting some sort of uh, asset in return for him. I, I don't think that's happening. So um, that definitely changes the conversation with Colton Pareko. All right, let's get into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with this, guys. Aaron Rodgers for the next week or two, I would imagine, is going to be the top storyline in the NFL. Does now, he know that, or is he still in a darkness oh, retreat? he definitely knows it. He was on a podcast yesterday oh, talking about how he's going good. to make his decision soon. Good. Um, Can't wait. Alex, this week is the NFL Combine. That means that all of the different coaches and general managers are all going to be mingling in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana. And that means that reporters are going to be talking with some people. Jeff Darlington was on ESPN earlier today. Here's what he had to say about the relationship between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. No longer does it feel like the Packers are simply going to kiss the ring of Aaron Rodgers and say, we need you back. We got to have you back. It, it is no longer that tone. It is, if you want to be a part of this organization, you need to call us. You need to commit. You need to show us that that is going to be the case. Hell yeah. Rock and roll music with it. I think the Packers are done, man. I think the Packers are trying to publicly shame Aaron Rodgers into demanding a trade. What gave that away? 
I mean, everything that you were hearing from their side of things basically says, yeah, we don't like Aaron Rodgers. We don't want Aaron Rodgers around any longer. Well, one of you teams, please pick up the phone call and give us your best offer because we want to move on from Aaron Rodgers. The problem is, I don't know what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. I don't know if the Packers know what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. And unless he's willing to accept a trade elsewhere, they can't really do anything to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. We know he is a bit of a... Uh, how do I say this? Um, miserable. Fairly. Yeah, he, he's a bit miserable. Miserable. And he's tick. Definitely not afraid to do something in spite of the people that dislike him. So I could totally see him saying, oh, you don't want me here? Yeah. All right, cool. I'll go ahead and come back. I'll be back in Green Bay next You know, season. I don't even think it's going to be that. I think what he's going to do is he's going to say, you guys don't want me here? Cool. I'm going to play this out until every team's got themselves a quarterback, and, and then, then I'm going to demand my trade. And that's and that's going to put the pack. It's going to be post-draft. He is going to make sure the Packers are in the worst position possible. Yeah, yeah, I could see him doing that. I I do think they want out of this, and I, I'm kind of with you. I, I think he's such a miserable you-know-what to where he would try and just say, no, I wanted out last year. Now I'm glad I think we're I'm all happy. on the same page with Rodgers now I, I, on I what he is. I could totally see him like showing up fat, out of shape, pulling the James Harden treatment to Green Bay. But unlike James Harden, who was doing it to get out of where was he at the time, Houston, he'll just be doing it to stay in Green Bay and make the team worse. All right, as we continue on with some of the quarterback decisions that have to be made, I was listening to a podcast yesterday over on the Athletic, and they were talking with the Giants beat writer. And he basically said he'd be shocked at this point if the Giants don't franchise tag Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones asking for like $45 million per year. Um, the Giants would rather spend like $30, $35 million. And I think that's roughly where the franchise tag is going to end up for him. I think he's going to play out this season on the franchise tag. I bring all of that up as the backdrop to a report that Diana Rossini had earlier today on ESPN about Derek Carr and what he is looking for on the open market. In terms of the type of money he's looking for, that 35 mil plus, that is not seen as a very hefty price tag for what they believe Carr can do. If he's going to ask for $35 million per year, 30 to 35, Alex, if you're the Giants, don't you try to get a meeting with Derek Carr this week and say, hey, would you be willing to come play for us? Just like an exploration of the possibility. Because if he's going to cost you the same amount of money that it's going to cost to retain the services of Daniel Jones, I would rather have Derek Carr, especially if it's going to be similar or less money on the life of the contract. Yeah, I would call up Derek Carr and have a, a sit-down, face-to-face meeting and say, would you be willing to play here for less than $45 million? And if he says yes, great, sign on the dotted lines. Because I'm not paying Daniel Jones $45 million if I could get somebody better than him for less money. So, yeah, I, I would... I, I, maybe it's 35, maybe it's 40. That's still a better quarterback for the Giants and Brian Dable than Daniel Jones at $45 million. Let me ask this another way. If I told you you can have either, for the same amount of money, Derek Carr and Saquon Barkley, or just Daniel Jones. Again, same amount of money being paid on a year-to-year basis for both of those options. Which would you rather have, T-Bone? Oh, I would much rather have Carr and Saquon Barkley. Like, I... That's easy for me because Daniel Jones, one, he's just not a good quarterback. And two, if I'm taking away a weapon from his backfield, I'm making the team worse. And I I, I think it is Carr. I, I would pay Carr whatever you think the money is you're willing to go with Daniel Jones. I'd be willing to exceed that with Derek Carr slightly. Not a lot, but I'd be willing to exceed it a little bit. Hell, tell me he's going to be a Hall of Famer with you. And you might be able to lure him into New York. True. Okay. 
We're getting a lot of texts asking essentially this. How would you guys rather have Derek Carr? Daniel Jones at least has upside. He has no receivers last season. Another one. How is Derek Carr better than Daniel Jones? What? Guys, Daniel Jones in his entire career has 60 passing touchdowns. 60. 6-0. Derek Carr annually gets 25 plus every year. You can just write it in. So you know pretty much what you're signing up for in Derek Carr. You're going to get 4,000 yards passing. You're going to get about 25 touchdowns. You're going to get about 10 interceptions. Do you know how quickly you would sign up for that if you are the New York Giants? In fact, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with this take, and that's fine. I don't know that Derek Carr's all that dissimilar of a player than Eli Manning. Like, if you just go through Eli's career and you strip out the playoff success because there was really only two years of it, I think in the regular season, they are incredibly similar players, Derek Carr and Eli Manning. So could Derek Carr go to New York and have some success? Absolutely, especially with that coaching staff there. If you add a couple of receivers to the mix, I I think Derek Carr would be a better player for them than Daniel Jones. I mean, if Daniel Jones is basically a running quarterback at this point in his career, we'll see if he can develop as a passer, but he's not there yet. I'm somebody who's very skeptical of Derek Carr. Like, I, I don't believe he's as great of a quarterback as people are making him out to be but he's better than Daniel Jones. I mean, I watched Daniel Jones and I bought into it after that Vikings win, but I also forgot that the Vikings defense was just awful. And then I saw the next game of a, against a quality opponent and there was nothing there. If I'm Brian Dable, Derek Carr is a better quarterback because at least I've seen success with that individual rather than what Daniel Jones has happened and with. And to the argument of, you know, he hasn't had wide receivers. You know, Carr never really had anybody until Adams got there last year. I know he had Waller, but he's not a wide receiver. He's kind of a tight end. I I, I think you put Carr, I agree with BK, you put Carr in that situation, you add a couple wide receivers, is he going to be a top 10 quarterback? Maybe not, but he's definitely going to be higher on the ranking list than what Daniel Jones would be. Somebody on the text line said that's a hor- horrible comparison. Eli Manning to Derek Carr. I'll tell you why it's not good, sir. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Text Good lines sir. got fired up today. Age 23 through age 31 seasons for Derek Carr. In Get other him. words, known as his entire career so far. Get him, BK. I can't believe these people. Um, all right. Whoa. He's completed 65% of his passes. That same stretch of Eli Manning's career. And by the way, this is basically the same number of games. 140 for both of them. 59% completion percentage. Who gets better on that side of things? Derek Carr. Same timeline. You want to go by touchdown percentage or total touchdowns? Either way is fine by me. What do you prefer, Alex? I'll go total touchdowns. I'm sorry. Is your name Alex? Sorry. I'll go total touchdowns. 217 passing touchdowns for Derek Carr. 211 for Eli Manning. Again, check in the box of Derek Carr in his career. You want to go interception or interception percentage? What would you prefer, Alex? Thanks a lot, Texter, for taking us down this stat loophole. Go with the second one. Interception percentage. Two yeah. percent of Derek Carr's passes end in an interception. Four and a half percent, or excuse me, four percent of them ended in an interception for Eli Manning. Basically double. Quarterback rating, 92 for Derek Carr, 82 for Eli Manning. Derek Carr was a better regular season quarterback in the first eight years of his career than Eli Manning was. I'm sorry. He's a better player. Eli Manning had two great playoff runs, and that's gonna get him into the Hall of Fame, and God bless him for it. But let's get out of here with this nonsense. Derek Carr would be the a good quarterback for the Giants. Best quarterback that they've had in the last 20 years if you're looking at the regular season. Yeah, I said it. All right, final thing here. There's been a lot of talk about T. Higgins. Could he be a a nice trade piece for another team that's willing to give him the big-time contract that he's looking for? Alex, here is what the Cincinnati Bengals general manager had to say the other day. 
I'm not in the business of making other teams better. I'm in the business of making the Cincinnati Bengals better. And so trading T. Higgins is not on my mind. That's their problem. They want a receiver. Go find your own. You know, in, in my, my opinion, you know, T. Higgins is a good piece for the Cincinnati Bengals. So the trade stuff is a little ridiculous right now. All right. I love that individual. I love that. If you want a wide receiver, go find your own. These hours. They're right. I mean, the name of the game for Cincinnati is the weapons that they have for Joe Burrow. This is how you succeed. When you have a young quarterback on a rookie contract, you load up with the receivers. You've got Jamar Chase. You've got T. Higgins. you got Tyler Boyd. you got a great roster in front of them. Finding a way to upgrade the offensive line is priority number one. You do that through the draft, maybe. You do that through free agency. But, yeah, I'm not trading any of my wide receivers. T. Higgins needs to be with the Bengals for the life of his career. Absolutely. For the life of the contract. Or at least the next one. Like he and Jamar Chase that, need to be there. Agreed. Yeah, that's your building around your, your offensive core right now. If you're the Bengals, like I don't think that they are going to keep next season. Joe Mixon. I think he's going to be off the team. I think he's going to be released. Makes sense. I think that what you're building around right now is Joe Burrow, T Higgins, Jamar Chase. That's your core coming up in 15 minutes. We'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, what would you be willing to pay for MLB TV? If it was outside of your cable subscription, we'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You know what? Scrap the MLB payment. We're sticking with Carr versus Manning. This guy has been venting. He put a tweet out there. I think he upset somebody on the text line. I'm fired up, man. We're carrying this over. How do people suddenly think that Eli Manning, not suddenly, how do people think Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer, and yet we're out here just bleeping on all of the mid-tier quarterbacks in the league right now? Let's- you know what Eli Manning was for the entirety of his career? He was Kirk Cousins. He was Kirk Cousins with a couple of good playoff wins, and you know what they, what those were carried by? They were carried by a helmet catch and Steve Spagnolo putting together some of the best defensive game plans you've ever seen in your life. Get him, BK! Eli Manning wouldn't be a Hall of Famer if not for, J- uh, for Jason... Strahan. Jim will say Jamie no, Michael Strahan. Michael Strahan. Jason Seahorn also. Part Michael of Strahan hosts a $100,000 pyramid on the Game Show Network. Yeah, that too. Sorry, fired up. Big Game Show Network fan. Not for that defense. Eli Manning wouldn't be anywhere near. And here's his Will Bacon. He would be Derek Carr, honestly. For all of you that are saying. He is Derek Carr. <laughs> worse than Derek Carr, honestly. All right, let's get into some MLB talk. So yesterday, J.J. Cooper who covers Major League Baseball for Baseball America. He's their editor-in-chief. He tweeted this out. I found it to be really interesting, Alex. How much would you be willing to pay for a season if you were able to get all of your team's local broadcast as part of an MLB.TV subscription? So essentially, if Major League Baseball, because of the RSNs going under, and we know there's a lot of uncertainty there, if Major League Baseball decided, you know what, we're going to take these on, And we're going to do the MLS idea, but we're going to have it under our own umbrella. You don't have to get Apple TV. We're going to have MLB.TV carry the local games, and you can watch them anywhere in St. Louis or elsewhere. You can watch your team on MLB.TV. What would you be willing to pay for those broadcasts? He put up four different options, less than $50, $50 to $100, dollars to $200 or $200 or more. 41% of the votes were for less than $50 for the season. 34% 34% said they'd be willing to pay 50 to $100, and then it was 17% on 100 to 200 Only 8% of people that voted in this poll, and there was about 3,000 votes, posted that they would uh, pay at least $200 for, the, for, this, for the season. 
Alex, I have some potentially bad news oh, for fans. You? Buzz Killington, ladies and gentlemen. Three, two. If MLB ends up doing this, I bet you it's going to be for a minimum of $150 over the course of the season. In fact, if you look at the way that MLS has gone about it, it's what, 13 bucks a month, basically, is yeah. what it amounts to? 13 bucks a month over the course of six months. Man, you're already talking about paying about 100 bucks for for MLS. You think that baseball is going to give you 162 local games for $100? I, I would be absolutely shocked. Alex, what would you be willing to pay as a baseball fan if they decided to go this route and you're getting this outside of your cable package? Man, I, I mean... It's hard to put a price on it because I'm going to be wanting to watch it. So I feel like I'm going to pay no matter what, which is not what you want to say when it comes to a circumstance like this. But I mean, I, I, I'm looking at more of like a monthly fee than I would be like an overall yearly fee. And honestly, somewhere between 40 to $50 a month, I think is probably what I'd be willing to pay. Maybe hopefully less than that, because we're talking, I mean, what is that? That's six months, six months. So, I mean, you're talking terrible math by me $300 that sucks but yeah I I don't think it matters what the price is because I'm going to be paying it to watch it but man anything above 50 a month I think is going to start to get to the point where I really question do I really want to pay this I I think I'm with you I think 50 would be about where I'd be in terms of like a breaking point now look again kind of to your point you know feels like you have to pay for it we have to pay for it it's in our job description of watching Cardinals baseball I, I think once you get in that conversation of seventy five plus dollars a month, I think you're going to see a lot of fans turn away from it. And maybe not so much. I think it is kind of depending on the region. Like you know, here in St. Louis, maybe it won't be as big a factor. I, I think in some of the smaller markets, Pittsburgh. Why would I pay seventy five dollars a month for the Pittsburgh Pirates? They're not good enough. They don't care. Why would I put my money into them? Cincinnati, same conversation. Teams that are good and teams that are willing to spend money, I, I think there will be fans that will pay the kind of, okay, it doesn't matter what price I'm paying for it, I, I'm willing to do it, unless it gets super outrageous where it's like 150 a month. Then I think you see people kind of turn away from it. But I think it's the smaller markets that are going to be more Did interesting. you say 150 a month? I was just throwing a number. Oh, like, okay. I, I, think there, I think there's a breaking point for baseball cities for fans to do it if you're getting into three digits i'm out but i but i think like for example i i think oh even, it won't be that a month no but I, i'm just saying there's a breaking point for even your cities that are baseball diehard cities like st louis there'll be a breaking point for them but if it's somewhat reasonable they'll still decide okay well i'm willing to do it because i'm going to watch the Cardinals. they're going to be a good baseball team the smaller markets are where this is going to be fascinating but, to watch and, for me and here's the other thing too people keep saying well i'm only going to pay for six months of it 27 dollars for six months equals 162 games you're not paying a subscription for six months it's going to be year round it might be or it could be monthly like the, there's there's a new thing getting started in new york and this is uh, this was just announced actually earlier today. MSG is launching launching a new streaming service, and this will carry the Knicks along with the Rangers, the Sabers, and the Devils up in New York, and they're charging twenty nine ninety nine a month or three hundred dollars annually. So you get the rights to all of the hockey games up in New York, basically, and the Knicks, and you're paying twenty nine ninety nine a month or three hundred dollars per year. I think for baseball, that twenty nine ninety nine a month feels very possible. Like thirty bucks a month in the baseball season is April through October, essential or kind of October, but really September. So April, May, June, July, August, September. We should have got about six months. Better. Let's call it two hundred bucks for the year or thirty bucks a month. 
Would you guys be willing to pay that? 30 if you bucks were a, a month? If you were a fan. Yeah, 30 bucks a month yeah. or something like that. I, I would that that would be fine for me. I'm still not happy about it that it's gotten to this point, but again, it's kind of out of necessity to watch it. $30 a month is a lot more justifiable than anything higher than that. Like I said, I'd probably I'm going to pay no matter what, but if we get to 50, that's where the point where I'm really going to sit there and say, is there a way for me to work around this and still pay attention to the games? Yeah, I, I think I, 30 seems about right because if you're trying to divvy it up, because I saw someone say I'd rather pay like game by game basis, which New York and MSG Network is doing, that's about $2 a game, or a little over a dollar a game, I mean, because you got probably, what, 26, 27 games in a month, and they're going to have a handful of I think days. I think they won't do that. I think it'll be more expensive than what you're thinking, because they're going to try to incentivize people to buy the full package. At MSG, they're charging $10 per game. If you yeah. want to go on an individual game-by-game game basis, it's going to, I bet you it ends up costing more than what people are expecting, because again, they, they want you to purchase the full month or season. I, I should have been clear. I was kind of divvying up in my mind, okay, if I'm paying 30 a month, that's essentially, I'm cutting As each game down to like a dollar, I don't know, 50 cents a game. I, I think that seems reasonable. I'm trying to remember what the package as a whole is now. Uh, that that's that that I think it's like 200 bucks for everything right now on MLB package. So if you're saying I can spend 200 bucks for my local team, I, I think I would be in on that. And then you got like MLB Network, which you'll be able to go wherever else you want to do that. So, but I, I would do it. I think $30 a month seems fair. I think when you are getting to that $50 plus, I think that's when it becomes a major question. Somebody on the text line makes a very important point on this. And this is why I find it to be really interesting in the direction that we're heading right now with streaming. Say $30 a month for MLB, $13 a month for soccer, and probably another $20 to $30 for NHL is going to start catching up to people very quickly in terms of how expensive it is to be able to just stream the rights to all of these games. You add in ESPN Plus, maybe you've got that. You've got Amazon Prime because you want to be able to watch the Thursday night football games in the NFL. Man, you're going to get very quickly adding it all up to the place where you're basically paying for cable again. And in this scenario, you get less than what you used to feel like you got with cable because you would get all of those other channels that came along with it as well. That's where I find it to be interesting. I told you earlier today, Alex, if I were, I mean, certainly in our job, but just if I was somebody that didn't have this for a living and I was just a casual sports fan, I would be cutting the cord and I would be doing this like that because I don't really watch live television much anymore other than for live sporting events. So if I had this opportunity, it would save me a ton of money every month to no longer have cable in my life. But for a lot of people, I think they'll view it as, Man, I still have to have cable because my kids like watching stuff that's on cable that I can't get elsewhere if I didn't want it. Or I would have to go to like YouTube TV or something and then I'm just paying for basically cable again. And I'm adding the streaming. I I just can't afford to do all of this on a month to month basis. It doesn't make sense for me realistically. I'm already there. Like I'm thinking of this money right now. And I mean, I've already cut the cord in terms of cable and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if I can just I don't know if I could justify this to my wife like hey I got to pay this money to watch the games but this is the situation you're going to be in but Tanner's absolutely right there will be people that turn away from this because of the prices that are set for for what major league baseball deems uh, respectable for you to pay to watch the games. The other thing that these sports leagues are going to have to start questioning is okay do we care about having this big umbrella anymore? Because this was one of my big questions about MLS is, okay, you're probably going to be turning away a decent portion of your audience. Are you okay with that? And MLS essentially said, yeah, we're, we're okay with that. We know that we're not going to expand the game maybe the way that we would otherwise if we were available to more people. But revenue-wise, this is something that's going to make sense for us. Is Major League Baseball okay with that? 
they okay with saying, hey, there's going to be a decent portion of our audience that no longer gets to consume the game the way that they used to because it's not as easily accessible. It, it is technically probably a little bit more expensive for people to stream as opposed to what they were previously getting uh, with the DirecTV or cable subscription that they had. I, I don't know the answer to that question. They're the only ones that can answer it. But I think what they will say, because you always follow the money, is whatever gets us the revenue, that's the route that we're going to go. And in this scenario, it, it appears that this is the most likely route to getting that revenue. And especially everybody's texting in saying there's no way they would charge for this. Also remind you that like they absolutely will. They're getting hundreds of millions well, of dollars say, on these TV deals and, right now. They're not just going to not have that money coming and the in The TV anymore. deals are going away and like they're going into bankruptcy. So baseball teams are kind of set with nobody else to help them. They're going to find a way to make up the money that they're losing in this situation, which is why they will overcharge what you deem normal for this subscription. Yeah, somebody on the text line says, would MLB pay teams for these games or is that revenue gone in the future? So the way that this would work, my understanding at least, is it would essentially work as the current regional sports networks do where the Cardinals have a deal with Bally Sports Midwest. That deal, I don't know what the exact dollar figure is. I would have to look it up, but it's a a large sum of money. The Cardinals get a lot of money on a year-to-year basis annually from that TV rights deal that Bally Sports Midwest pays for, for the right to carry the Cardinals, and then Bally is able to charge for commercials. That's how they make their money back, or at least they hoped, um, and so on and so forth. When that goes away, and it is very likely to go away, maybe not this season, but in the future, I don't think Bally Sports is going to be carrying the Cardinals any longer after they just filed for bankruptcy. Where, where are they going to be shown? That's really what Major League Baseball is trying to figure out right now. And it was announced earlier today that Major League Baseball has already hired two more people that are coming from these regional sports networks to help them transition to whatever the next version of local TV rights deals look like. I don't know what it's going to be, but I am telling you that it's probably going to be a direct-to-consumer type of a product. And yeah, you are likely going to have to pay more for that than what you're currently expecting. I don't know what the response will be. I can tell you if it's anything like MLS, what we saw this past weekend, you might end up enjoying the product more. There's a chance that the product gets better by putting it on these streaming services. That's possible. Could get significantly worse. I don't know. But this is this is the future of what baseball is probably going to look like. And it's one of the biggest changes that we've seen in the television base or the, the TV side of, of sports since sports were put on television. I mean, it, this is like the next quote-unquote frontier of sports television rights. So it's it's going to be really interesting to follow, to say the least. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, are NHL teams trying to build too much right now like NBA teams do at the trade deadline where they're trying to build these quote-unquote super teams? We'll talk about that. Alex has an interesting take on it coming up in about 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, as we dive into the Junk Drawer today... I think I have officially felt like, or I've officially learned what it feels like to be 30. 
I was, was your yes. back hurt when you woke up? Oh my God, dude. Yes. Yes. So badly. So Been I'm there. working right now on our nursery. We're completely renovating the room. We have a relatively old house. It's like 60 years old. And so they've got like some very old carpet in it. It, it has like our, our closet in that room, the way that it is constructed. It has this roller door that I'm pretty sure has been there the entire time the house has existed. Um, all of the nails and screws that were a part of the hardware to construct it have been rusted over. Um, so we had to completely take all of that stuff out. We're rebuilding the closet, essentially. We're repainting everything. We're putting new flooring in. It's a very large undertaking. Over the last few days, I've been repainting the room. Holy bleep is my back hurting. <laughs> I, I woke up over the last couple of days and I didn't really think about what it could be. I thought it was just like I'm starting the training for the half marathon. Thought maybe I just like kicked into it too quickly. No, I think I know what it is. Hard I'm work. getting old and painting has legitimately turned my back on fire. I feel like Travis Kelsey prior to that Bengals game where he woke up and he had the, the back spasms. Hmm. I feel like that at all times. I could barely bend over. I feel like I'm 75 years old right now. Yeah, I had that moment over the weekend. I was on the, uh, I was laying on the ground playing with my daughters, um, and I stood up and I go, oh, can't feel my back. Is this just what it feels like <laughs> yeah. at all time? I mean, you know what it feels like to be old. Yeah, old and out of shape. That's yeah. me. At least you're okay. in shape. Uh, out of shape doesn't help it either. But yeah, you get a lot more grunts at this time of the year when you move around, like <laughs> when you get up. Um, Wait, you are you in that phase, BK? Have you moved to the grunting phase? Uh, oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm officially old. I'm an old. Yeah, you have a lot more I'm tingling sensations in your legs where you're like, oh, can't feel that. What happened there? I always feel that. Um, I Can I tell you about something else that I experienced yesterday? You transition off of a tingling sensation, <laughs> so I prefer you not. Let's just send it to a break. So... I've, I don't know that I've ever been more embarrassed. And you guys know I have very little shame. But I was genuinely embarrassed. I have not told you this story yet. So I mentioned that we're, we're working on the, the nursery and we're redoing the, the closet specifically. We got rid of the old roller door. We got instead the, the folding doors, collapsing doors. So we got them originally from Home Depot. And I got them home and I was like, man, these aren't these are like an off white they're not the white that we were looking for. So I look at Lowe's to try to figure out, okay, do they have uh, the style of door that we're looking for? I find it, it. It's like the actual bright white is the color that they call it. That's the way that the picture appears. I'm like, okay, I'll just order these. We'll take the old door back to Home Depot and we'll get this taken care of, right? So yesterday, that's what we decided to do last night. I return it at Home Depot. We go over to Lowe's. We go to the front desk. We're like, hey, we're picking up the doors. They bring them out, and I look over at Kara. I say, oh, no, <laughs> we've got two problems here. One, that's definitely not the right size. That's like half the size that we need. I bought the wrong sized doors. Not ideal. Nice. Two, it is the exact same color as the other doors that we have just returned. So not only have <laughs> I purchased the wrong color door, it is also the wrong size. I look at the lady and I say, I'm so sorry. Can I return this? <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? You're just coming in to pick up something that you purchased. I say, I know. I, I have completely messed up. Got the wrong color and the wrong size. She says, yeah, we can go ahead and get that taken care of, but you're going to have to wait like five minutes because our system's got to update. She said, when you go back and get the new door that you're looking for, you can bring that up and we'll be able to finish this return and buy the new one. I said, all right, fine. So we go back to the back. 
We look at all of these different doors that are available to us. Alex, not a single bleep in one of these things is the actual bright white. They're all primed, and then you got to go paint them on your own. Who is the, got some choice words, the individual that decided when you buy a new door, it can't be pre-painted for you? Why is this the way that it is? We live in a society, man. It's because uh, it's what's called uh, economy is, where you're going to have to pay to get something that you need. But why do you have to paint it? Because it should that's, be pre-painted. That's more money for you. Well, maybe people don't know what the color of the front yeah, door they white. want. White. It's not a front door. It's a closet door. Everybody's doors in the... Have you walked into many buildings or places where the doors yeah, are not white? Why are you yelling at me? Were you yelling at employees at Home Depot right now? <laughs> no, I didn't say anything. You were yelling, weren't you? I was too embarrassed. You pulled an Alex, didn't you? Well, why don't you not go doors? Do you ever think of that? Moral of the story. We returned doors and bought doors at two different places, both of which were about 20 minutes away from our home yesterday, when we needed to do none of it. This the is, entire two-hour journey was a complete waste. Yeah, this is I why I wasted you, my pregnant wife's time. <laughs> I wasted my time. I embarrassed myself in front of this This is why do-it-yourself is never oh. fun. I did the same thing with a sink, and I bought a sink, thought it fit, took the sink out, put the new one in, didn't fit. Had no sink, had to go back to Home Depot at 10 o'clock at night to get a new sink and hope to God that that one fit. Uh, do it yourself is never fun. Somebody said, paint it yourself, you lazy bum. Touche, fair enough. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Alex, though, has a take on the NHL, specifically at the deadline. Are these teams trying to reconstruct their rosters too much? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up at 1.30, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us. We'll get into more likely to happen here in just a little bit. But Alex, you had an interesting takeaway from all of the activity that we have seen so far in the NHL. I, I've honestly been a little surprised by how many <laughs> trades we've seen. This is as active as I've ever seen, at least as I can remember the NHL's trade deadline. Do you think the teams are making a mistake, though? By being this active at the deadline. It's great for fans. Is it a problem for teams? I, I think some teams have. I, I, the teams that stick out to me that I, I say, man, I don't know if you're doing this the right way. The New York Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Joe and I talked about this last night on post game, but and I get it. It's exciting. Patrick Kane is on the New York Rangers right now. If I'm a Rangers fan, I am pumped. If I'm a Maple Leafs fan and I've gotten all of these assets, I'm pumped. Even the LA Kings who acquired Gavrikov and Corpusalo last night, like that's a good trade for them. But you're, you're doing too much, in my opinion, disrupting the chemistry on a team. And this is what Joe talked about. He, he mentioned the Pittsburgh Penguins season that he was on their roster. They were one of the best in the National Hockey League, and their general manager went all in. They went and got Jerome McGinley. They went and got Brendan Morrow. They went and got UC Jokinen, and they said, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. They got bounced in the first round. That's what I think the Rangers, the Maple Leafs are at risk of right now because you're disrupting so much of your NHL roster to go get more players like the Toronto Maple Leafs. If they would have just stuck with 
Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari. I would have looked at that and said, damn, that's a good team. But then when they went and got Brian McCabe and they went and got Sam Lafferty and then when they traded for Luke Shen and they traded a player off of their NHL roster for a guy who was a seventh defenseman with the Washington Capitals and Rasmus Sandin, that's a lot. You traded away a player who was drafted, developed, and came up with a lot of the players that are on the NHL roster right now. The Rangers. The Rangers are essentially the Brooklyn Nets of the National Hockey League. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Brooklyn Nets. Not now because that's a disaster. But you just traded for Patrick Kane. You also traded for Vladimir Tarasenko. Vladimir Tarasenko was acquired because you thought you weren't getting Patrick Kane. And Tarasenko was the next best thing to play with Panarin on that top line as Abinijad. Now you got a guy who's expecting to be one of your best players, and you're putting him to the second line because you're bringing in Patrick Kane? It's a lot of guys who want the puck that aren't going to get the ice time that they feel like they deserve. The LA Kings. You took a... Locker room presence away in Jonathan Quick. And Quick has been terrible this season. But you traded him away in a team that you've been trying to rebuild for the last few years. And he's been a part of all of that. I think that disrupts a lot of chemistry for teams. The teams that make minimum moves or teams that don't trade NHL roster players for better assets. I feel like they're more qualified to go the distance like the Tampa Bay Lightning. All you did was trade draft picks and you brought in a player that says we're going for it. The New Jersey Devils. You got Timo Meyer for a bunch of draft picks and prospects. Those are the teams I'd say keep a better eye on because the chemistry is there. So I I think there's two different sides of what you're talking about because I agree with you on the Rangers. I do wonder if they're going almost too far in the star side of things. And I don't typically feel this way about the NBA like The Suns absolutely should have traded for Kevin Durant. That was 100% the correct move. And they traded glue guys from their roster, guys that you absolutely want as a part of a championship core. But when Kevin bleeping Durant becomes available, you got to make that deal in the NBA because that guy affects winning in a significant way. And you've got other stars that are able to play with him. That's a move you have to make. And the NHL is a little different. In the NHL, you've only got so much ice time that you can affect the game with. And you've got specific players like Vladimir Tarasenko or Patrick Kane who, when they come in, man, they're not going to help you a whole lot defensively. In fact, they make you worse defensively. According to some of the analytics, Patrick Kane has been arguably the worst defensive forward in the NHL this season. It's not my opinion. That's based on some of the metrics that are out there. Is that going to change when he gets to New York? Maybe, um, but probably not. And you do wonder what that ends up looking like for their team. What does that mean for the chemistry? Are guys going to be able to fit in with Flatty, who has had a little bit of an up and down start with the Rangers, to say the least, and Patrick Kane, who plays a very specific style? What does that look like for them? Could end up working out great. Or you have 20 games remaining in the regular season. You're going to have a really tough first round matchup, regardless of who that ends up being for them. Maybe it ends up going poorly. I don't know about their their decision to go this route. I would not have made the deal probably for Patrick Kane. The Kings is a little different to me. I understand that they traded a guy that is very well liked within that locker room. But Jonathan Quick has not been good this year. In fact, he's been one of the worst goalies in the NHL this season that sees regular ice time. And they were able to upgrade their defensive core. And I think that by doing that, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what the Blues did last year at the deadline where they did trade a guy that was beloved in that locker room in Oscar Sundquist. But they got in return something they really needed, which was a legitimate top four defenseman at the time in Nick Letty, and they were able to move forward. And I thought that team had a real chance to win the Stanley Cup prior to their goalie going down. We all know the story from there. So I think it's almost two different conversations of, 
are the Rangers going about this the wrong way? I think the answer is yes. Are the Kings going about it the wrong way, though? I, I don't think so. I think the Kings are made a move that makes sense for them. Maybe. I, I I look at it kind of the way that the Kings did, like what the Milwaukee Brewers did last year with Josh Hader, where they traded him away and people are like, what's going on here? And th- the difference is Hader was phenomenal and Quick has not been good. But Quick is also one of those guys. It's not like an Oscar Sundquist who was an asset piece. He he's basically the equivalent of Ajay Kopitar and Drew Doughty in that locker room, just without the talent this season. I, I think the LA Kings doesn't matter though. It does, but in a situation like that, like let's say the Blues would have traded away Jake Allen in the 2018-19 season because Jordan Bennington was phenomenal, and you're thinking, uh, maybe he's a piece that we can get in return. Did they for get it. a top four defenseman in return? I guess they didn't really need it at that time, but like yeah. if you needed a top four defenseman and you traded away but Jake Allen, needed, I would have said that's a they smart move. The, <laughs> but they needed the goaltender more than that top four defenseman because Quick isn't be good and Phoenix Copley you can't trust. But I feel like if you would have found a way to move on from Phoenix Copley, keep a Jonathan Quick there and bring in a Corpusala where Quick is still there, but you brought in somebody who you can trust a little bit more. I don't know. Chemistry is such a weird thing because everybody. You talk to one group of people, they'll say, man, that has nothing to do with it. If the team's great, they're going to win hockey. And in another sport, I would agree with. But in hockey, it is so much about the grind of a season and the respect you have for your teammates that got you to this point. And especially if you're the L.A. Kings, where you've been bad for the last three or four seasons. Jonathan Quick won you Stanley Cups. You've been bad. You've had to go through the rebuild. And Jonathan Quick's been through it all. And now you're looking at the prize where you could be in the playoffs for the first time in four years. I just feel like when you take that player out of the locker room, guys feel like, man, I know we're loading up, but we lost somebody that was pretty impactful for Maybe, us. Maybe, but I think they'll also look at it and say, we just got a top four defenseman that can help us win. Yeah. And if we continue winning, you know what cures a lot of those bad feelings? You win a few games. Yeah, but you know and what? three to four games from now, they might be looking back and say, this was a really smart move But that's us. why I look more like an Edmonton Oilers team, and I say they did it the right way. You didn't trade anything off of your roster. They did, though. They traded a top four defenseman for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's true. Tyson Berry. Yeah. And I don't know how he's respected in that locker room. He may, he may very well be a guy that a lot of the players in that locker room really like him, but they improved. Yeah, I forgot about that. And so they made their team better. I, I think that I'm with you in general. If you can get these quality pieces without moving on from somebody for, on your NHL roster, I think all general managers will tell you they would prefer to do that. But for salary cap purposes, if nothing else, it's really hard to be able to do that right now. And if you're the Kings and you decided one of our biggest needs for our team is we need to go out there and get a legitimate top four defenseman. I think they were hoping they could do that by getting Jacob Chikrin and not including Jonathan Quick in that conversation. But they couldn't. They couldn't get the deal done with Arizona because Arizona continues to ask for the moon. And they decided, okay, we're going to move on. And the way that we can get this done to make it make sense for everybody is by moving Jonathan Quick in the trade. And I think every player on that team, if they're being honest, has to understand that. He has not been good this season. He has an 876 save percentage on the year. He's allowing almost four goals per game. He's been one of their weakest parts of their roster, and you are able to fortify your defense. I think it was a smart move by them. I don't want to focus too much, though, on any one individual team. It's less so about Jonathan Quick. It's more so to me about at the deadline, if you're making tweaks, I think you can make it work. If you are making a complete overhaul to your roster with 20 games remaining, and that's what I think the Rangers are doing here, is yeah. they're completely altering the style Toronto of play. Toronto, too. That is where I think it can be super risky. And maybe it ends up all being worth it because you've got superstars, and in the playoffs it works out. I would be very hesitant to do that, especially when you're giving up first-round picks in these kinds of deals. 
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I would be curious what Chris Kerber thinks about this. We'll talk to him about it coming up in about 15 minutes. More likely to happen is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's get it, get to a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Let's start with this from the 636. Guys, more likely the Blues do not make another trade at the deadline or the Cardinals make a serious splash at their trade deadline in the summer. More likely the Cardinals make a serious splash at their trade deadline. You think the Blues still have something else? No, not anymore. We're doing more likely to happen. It's more likely the Blues do not make any more moves, or the Cardinals do make a big move. Man, well, I think both are likely to happen. Can I say both? Wait, I don't. I still know what was wrong with his answer. Because I was saying it's more likely the the Cardinals make a move that the Blues don't make a move. Oh, I see. And I don't think the Blues are going to make a move. I'll stick with my answer though, because I could still see something happen. I could see somebody get desperate to say, "We need a defenseman. Let's get this guy from the Blues now." Uh, So I'm going to stick with it and say that the Cardinals are more likely to make a splash. I say more likely Cardinals make a splash because I I think they're going to be aggressive this year at the deadline. I I do think we're going to see them make a big-time move, and I don't think it's going to be, hey, our big-time move, Jose Quintana. I I don't think it's going to be that. I I could see where they're playing in the market for. Maybe it's an ace at the trade deadline. Maybe they're looking for an outfielder at the deadline, and they're going to be aggressive in doing so. I mean, John Mozeliak's been – Teasing all all offseason. Hey, we're gonna have money in the offseason. You know, we're gonna we're willing to be aggressive if things don't pan out, putting players on kind of spot like, hey, Carlson, O'Neill, you guys are the guys that are gonna d- determine where this ship is going. So I, I think it's more likely it's the Cardinals. I I'm not I don't, I don't think the Blues are gonna make another move. I'm gonna stick with what my gut has said all along. I don't think that the Blues are gonna make another move, and I'll say that that one is the one that's more likely. Here goes Thomas Grice. Way to go, man. <laughs> uh 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. All right, let's go over to the NFL, Alex. More likely to take a quarterback in the first round of this year's NFL draft. The Seattle Seahawks or the Detroit Lions? They pick fifth and sixth, respectively, in the draft. More likely to pick a quarterback in the first round. Seahawks or the Lions? I'm going to say the Lions because as great as Jared Goff was, Detroit's got to be thinking future right now. They had a nice run, probably will have another one this year with their loaded roster. But they also got to be thinking like two years from now, Jared Goff's not going to be the guy. So do we get somebody in this draft who could be Jared Goff's backup this season and then next year he takes over? Or maybe he takes over midseason. But I'm going to say it's the Lions. See, I think the Lions stick with Goff. I, I, yes, he has his limits, but with a good roster around him, and I think their roster is going to be really good for like the next five years, you can win with Goff. I mean, hell, he got the Rams to a Super Bowl, so... I think it's more likely you said Seahawks for the other team, right? I, I say Seattle. I, I think they're the ones that more likely end up drafting a quarterback because unlike Goff, I don't think Geno can get you to the place you want to be, even with a really good roster around him. I, like I thought the Seattle roster was pretty good this year. Defensively, they had some question marks. Offensively, though, I thought there are weapons around Geno. And in the second half, he really tailed off. So I'd say it's more likely they get the quarterback. 
man, I think I'm going to start out with this. I think it's entirely possible that both teams take a quarterback. I think that one or both of them would be perfect landing spots, for example, for an Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback who definitely needs more seasoning and probably could use a year to sit on the bench. But if you're those two situations, you've got good weapons. You've got at least decent offensive lines. Seattle's offensive line really came together last year with a couple of rookie offensive tackles and the Lions have a great offensive line. Uh, So you've got a good situation there for both of those teams to be able to take that rookie quarterback. And especially with the Lions, I don't think they have a ton of needs. Like you mentioned the other day, Tanner, we were talking about Jalen Ramsey. I think the Detroit Lions make a ton of sense for him as a landing spot. And that pretty much fills their one huge need is they've got to get a corner. They could use another pass rusher. But if they're able to get a quarterback there, I think that they make a lot of sense. Um, By the way, the Lions and the Seahawks both also have another first round pick later on in the draft where they could get something else. So I'll say both of them are likely. I think it is more likely, though, for the Lions to take one just because of the situation. I think they'll say they look at their roster and they believe that they've got enough to make it work. All right. Final one here, guys. More likely to happen. Major League Baseball is on an actual television station that you can get on your cable subscription next year. Or it is exclusively available via a streaming service. For next season? Mm Mm-hmm. I'll say it's exclusively available on a streaming service. It just seems to be the way of the world these days. Everything is on a streaming service, and I just don't see if this goes the way we think it is with Valley Sports and bankruptcy. It's going to go streaming service because it's going to be the most lucrative option for Major League Baseball. I think I'm going to go more likely it's on a streaming service as well, and I think that partly depends on what happens with the MLS. I think both we've mentioned this, MLB NHL, NBA keeping close tabs on what's going on there for the regional TV deals. I just don't know if there's going to be a way that MLB finds a RSN that could take over and end up being on a cable cable package. I, I think they would rather control it themselves and sell it themselves. So I, I think Major League Baseball is going to push it to a streaming service. I think so too. I think all of us are on the same page. There. I think that's the most likely route that this ends up going. In 15 minutes, we'll get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind, and we will have a chance for you to score a pair of single session passes for the Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. We'll do that all coming up in about 15 minutes. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and we are happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the voice of the Blues. He's Chris Kerber here on the show. Kerbs, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? BK, doing good. How are you guys? Uh, doing very well. Wanted to start with you having the conversation that we had to open the show today, and that is by discussing the debut in a Blue Note uniform, at least, for Kasperi Kapanen. What did you see from him last night, Curbs, that stood out to you? You know what? I, I, I saw speed. I saw some smart puck play. Uh, I saw his willingness to go to the middle of the ice at a couple of shots. And really specifically, one play really jumped out at me, and that's when the Blues had pulled their goaltender, and a pass got deflected and was sitting in the middle of the ice. And 
without a little tenacity, that's an easy clear for the other team. But Kapanen got on it and was able to get the puck back, and the Blues kept some pressure on to keep their hopes of tying that game up alive. So I think we saw some pretty good things. Uh, and I think you saw a player that was energetic to play for his new team and was given a good amount of ice time to do so, even elevated to that top power play unit as the game went on. So uh, my expectations moving forward on that front, I don't know that I have much at this point, just other than to see if he continues with some of that consistency and then if he gets rewarded offensively. Because while you saw some good things, there has to be a reason over the course of time that Pittsburgh said that basically the remaining one point whatever million of the cap space and the, that they would free up on this year of his contract was worth putting him on waivers. So um, I, I think a, a good start for him. Would you see where it goes? One thing that I did enjoy watching with him, Curbs, last night, and I mentioned this to Joe on postgame, I liked the fact that he just took shots. It, it, it was It's not that he's just taking shots to take shots, but he's putting the puck on net to create scoring opportunities. And to me, it was no coincidence that Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich had a very successful game because of his play. Well, look, that's that's the one thing about lines that's real interesting is the fact that it really does take all three. And so when you get a player that can play with some speed, a player that's going to win the, the foot race to the wall to, to win a puck and a player that has some smarts to put the puck in the right spot, that's definitely going to help your, your line mates out. And, of course, you're playing with Butch Navich, who is a very solid, very good 200-foot player you know, on, on this hockey team. So I, I guess one of the things from a coaching standpoint you can look at, and we saw Craig Berube do this with Sammy Blay as well in his first game back, but he put them in a position to really get ingratiated with his team really quickly by a lot of minutes and on some key important minutes as well. So I thought it was, uh, from that standpoint, a, a fun coaching move to watch how Craig Berube handled that. We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Curves on the topic of players moving as we get closer to the deadline, it's been a very active, I'm not even technically deadline yet, but deadline week, deadline month really in the NHL. Alex made an interesting point earlier today about how this impacts the chemistry. And we see this a lot in the NBA. Like, I know you're not, I don't know if you're a huge uh, NBA fan, Curbs, but the Lakers, for example, just completely overhauled their roster as we got closer to the trade deadline. And they're hoping that this iteration of their team is better than what we saw for the first 50 to 60 games of the year. We've seen some of that this year in the NHL, which feels different than previous years, especially with a team like the Rangers, for example. How much of an impact do you expect that to have both down the stretch and as we get closer to the playoffs with these teams that have completely overhauled their roster and the way that they play stylistically? Good general managers are very concerned about what type of moves impact chemistry. The move last night around midnight of Jonathan Quick to the Columbus Blue Jackets has been met this morning when you read reports from L.A. and talk to some people out there with, some real angst, like a lot of disappointment. Now, you can also understand that move, trading a 37-year-old goaltender is going to be a UFA for a 28-year-old goaltender who's also going to be a UFA, but uh, th- th- there's, there's definitely some intrigue along that one and wondering how that could impact the chemistry of the LA Kings. The team that has made the biggest or at least the most moves in terms of bringing players in would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. you got to be a little bit concerned about chemistry, but also Kyle Dubas looking at a team that says, look, it hasn't been good enough. Now you've got grit. Now you've got size. Now you've got character. Now you've got experience. There's nothing left for this team to do but win. 
And I think you're also dealing with a general manager there that realizes that if he didn't make some moves and make some gambles right now, and they lose in the first round of the playoffs, which is going to be a battle in the Eastern Conference, he's probably out of a job. So there might be a little bit of desperation preservation in there for, for Kyle Dubas on that one. Then you see teams like Tampa that made the move, gave up quite a lot of teams, but made the move for a young Tanner Janot. And that one is one of those things that can simply improve your chemistry because he's going to come in there and just be a team favorite right off the bat with his style of play. So chemistry is a real intriguing factor there. I don't think teams in the NHL can completely overhaul, but you definitely see Toronto realizing, man, with as good as Boston's been, with the fact that we could end up playing Tampa yet again, and whatever the scenario might be, uh, that they were going to need more to get out of it. And I frankly see some of those Eastern Conference teams starting to trend towards that Western style of play that we've seen successful here in, in the West with Colorado, St. Louis, and you know, eventually you know, go back to L.A. and what it took to win a Stanley Cup there. So it's a fascinating thing, and the amazing thing about it all, Brandon, is this. The play of the playoffs are going. Some of these teams are going to go, man, these deals were worth it. We got rewarded. Some of these teams are going to lose in the first round and go, oops. And, of course, we're going to make overarching statements about all of it based on what happens, regardless of who ends up, just based on what fits our own narrative. Sports Talk Radio, baby. You got to love it. It's the beautiful thing. Curbs, do you expect more activity by Friday? From the Blues? Blues and NHL. Well, yeah, I still expect some moves around the National Hockey League. Uh, I you know, these deals are really taking some time because a lot of them are involving some third teams. Even, you know, even the move, it didn't take a third team, but the Capitals just recently earlier today trading Lars Eller to Colorado and getting a 2024 second round pick. I believe they're keeping 31% of their salary. Now he's a UFA at the end of the year, but what's also happening here is teams like Minnesota, teams like Arizona, teams that have been willing to step up and absorb some salary for another team in exchange for a draft pick. You can only retain salary on three players at a given time. So eventually some of those you know, banks are going to run out for some teams and limit the ability for other teams to make some deals. So I still do think there are some hockey trades to be made. I still think you'll see some defensemen on the move. I know there's a lot of smoke circling around uh, Colton Pareko right now. Don't think a move like that would surprise me, but I guess I've been surprised before. Uh, but as far as the Blues go, I don't know that the Blues are actively seeking to, say, move Pareko. I think if there is a chance for them to clear up space and some cap space, that's where it's going to become very valuable for them. My guess tells me they'd like to move a defenseman other than Colton Pareko, but maybe the most interest is Colton. Uh, You know, for me, I just don't like the guys that sought after with that kind of contract. To me, it tells you how good of a player he is. And I think if you're going to stay competitive, as the Blues want to be, I think you need a player that can play the way he plays. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But I, I, don't, I don't know that the Blues are actively going after things like they were with their UFAs, Brandon. But I, I definitely think, though, that the phones are still ringing. And uh, if there's another move to free up some cap space, I think they would do it. Curbs, just as a follow-up to that, and I'm not asking you to name any names, but to me it does seem like the left side is a little bit of a logjam for how many guys you have at the NHL level, but also how many guys you have in the minors and prospects that you might want to get some looks at moving forward. Yeah, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, that probably is going to need to be talked about is when you hear, you know, Doug Armstrong mentioning the fact that freeing up ice time for guys like Kairou and Thomas to grow and Jake Neighbors to grow, 
And we heard this even with the move of with the move of TJ Oshie and, and things like that. Moving some guys around so other players can step into roles. I think that's going to have to happen defensively for the Blues too, because right now, as it sits, you would be coming back if you didn't make any other moves. You'd be coming back with Falk, Pareko, Letty, Scandella, you know, the, the whole group in, in your top four. Then, then you've got Bortuzzo, you've got Rosen. You, you've, you're set for seven. You're going to have to move somebody if you are going to open up any space for Castle to come up, for for Perunovic to come up, for Tucker, you know, to stay put. So logic tells you, whether it's at the trade deadline, the upcoming draft, that somewhere along the way, either some young defensemen have to be moved or some space has to be opened up for some of those young defensemen to take the next step. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the call tomorrow night. Blues versus the Sharks pregame with Alex. It's a late one. Starts at 830. Kerber will have the car call starting at 930. Thanks so much for the time. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. You got See it. Curbs. Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We do have some breaking news in the NHL that we'll get to on the other side. We will also give you a chance to win a single session pass for the State Farm Missouri Valley Men's Basketball Tournament Conference uh, Conference Tournament. We'll get to all of that coming up next in the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. from today's show be sure to check it out of the podcast page 101 espn.com the free 101 espn app is where you can find it it is all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers right now if you are texture number let's go 42 on the yeah. 101 espn text line at 314 and you text in kapanen you will win a uh, chance to score a pair of single session passes for the 2023 Missouri Valley Men's Basketball Conference Tournament. It is the 33rd annual MVC tournament at Enterprise Center on Thursday through Sunday. Tickets for Arch Madness on sale now. Details at 101ESPN.com. You can win a pair of tickets again right now. Single session passes by text being becoming texter number 42 at 314-399-9646. All you got to do is text in Kapanen. T-Bone, does it make you feel any uh, better that Michael Delzato won 40, or wore 42? No, because like... Were you sad when Delzato put that 42 on? Did he appear in a game? Yeah, he did. He played like 15 of them. His name's on the Stanley Cup, damn it. Yeah, yeah well... He is a champ here in St. Louis. Alex, we've talked a little bit about Dylan Larkin uh, as a very horrible tra- uh, transition there by me. He was potentially available... I didn't. It was actually a great transition. Thank you. Uh, we he, he was potentially available via trade. Uh, not anymore. 
He has officially oh. signed an eight-year deal with the Detroit Red Wings worth $8.7 million per year. He's one of the better young centers in the NHL. He's been an incredible player for them this year, very productive over the course of his career. Uh, any surprise by the deal? It feels like that's kind of where this was always expected to get to. Yeah, I mean, he's he played Michigan, uh, college in Michigan. He's from Michigan. Now he stays in Michigan. He's a core piece of that Steve Eisenman uh, team that they hope to be competitive for Stanley Cup this season, maybe next season for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a pipe dream to think he was going to hit free agency and maybe you had a shot at him, but uh, the price the years it makes the most sense for a player like that it's a good signing by Detroit yeah no surprise for me either I I thought it was gonna be a matter of time before they got this done we were talking about this before the show Alex it felt kind of like Pasternak where we keep saying you know it feels like that kind of deal is gonna get done but yet Pasternak has yet to have a contract extension Uh, Pasternak I'm I'm still a little wondering because Boston wants him but he's probably saying you're gonna pay me 11 plus million dollars per year and I don't know if Boston can afford that would you do it if you were the Blues oh god like if he were in a hypothetical scenario, if he became available at uh, this summer in free agency, would you do whatever you could Absolutely. to make sure that he's a blue? Yeah, he's a pure goal scorer. I mean, eleven million dollars a year—that—that's the going rate for guys who can score fifty plus goals in a season and put up close to a hundred points. And then that's what Pasternak is. Final thing for today, Alex. You were just talking about this during the break. There is a uh, a piece up on the Athletic right now about this year's up upco- or this upcoming NHL draft. Blues are, I haven't checked today where they're at. Still ninth. Mm -hmm. Damn it. Stupid Philadelphia Flyers can't find ways to win hockey games right now. Philly is down to seventh now. Here's the one thing I will say about this, this like race for a pick. Other than, and I said this last night, I think it's other than Montreal, who none of the teams in, in the bottom eight below the Blues Montreal is the only team that doesn't have other teams in the same division as them. Like Arizona, St. Louis, they're in the same division. You got San Jose. You've got, um, uh, there's another team. Anaheim. Anaheim, yeah. All of these teams have to play each other multiple times. Somebody's got to win those damn hockey games. So, so you're saying head-to-head games yeah. that could end up like so that could, both teams. It could benefit the Blues moving forward. All right, I got my fingers crossed. Yeah. Let's go Arizona. Hey man, you got to root for it right now. Hey, the next Blues game, San Jose. Here we go. You got San Jose, and then you've got the Kings, and then you got Arizona. You got a couple coming up. You've, yeah, you've got four. You've cut a lot you of games. Columbus. Oh, I'll be there. Tebow will be in attendance. <laughs> Tebow, root for the Blue Jackets that day. Like that's that's the I, thing. I gotta be honest, guys. I don't think the Blues are gonna be able to catch the Blue Jackets. It's gonna be no, tough. Remember in the beginning of the Dude, season, the we Blue had Jackets, the battle for the Blue. Yeah, but the Blue Jackets have won four of their last seven games. Like they're five winning and, hockey games. Five, three, and two in their last yeah. ten. So, but go on with what you were. Reason why I brought up the piece over on the athletic. We'll discuss this at length tomorrow. But from what I understand, what you said, he basically said this is the best draft since 2015. 2015. He said it's it's uh, it's the best pure talent in terms of prospects since 2015, which was the Connor McDavid draft. But go look at it because it was as deep as you can ask for. We'll dive into that a little I bit more it. tomorrow. Explore what it. that means for the St. Louis Blues. What it means for their chances to get a legit legitimate franchise player we'll do all of that tomorrow on the show looking forward to talking with you guys again then for alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. the fast lane's coming up from two to six right here on 101 espn i'm officially old i'm an old you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn